Blog Talk Radio. Tonight's episode of Ready to Unload with Cal and San Pete is sponsored by Blue Haven NYC in Greenwich Village, New York City's sports bar for grown-ups. Go to www.bluehavennyc.com for details. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Take me to the volcano! It's really called this. You have to ask for the vinegar with the mother in it. Oh, come on. Quick I need, no. Seriously. Maybe Bed Bath & Beyond. I don't know. I don't know if we'll have enough time. But uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? And Sam Pete, New York Sports Talk Podcast, episode number 146, coming to you live from Bayside, New York, Comac, New York, and Freehold, New Jersey. It's Thursday night, it's 9.30 p.m., it is time for Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete, New York Sports Talk Podcast, nice, talking New York sports nice. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Steve Sampietro, otherwise known as Sam Pete. And this is uh, episode number 146. We have a huge show for you, a lot of New York sports to talk, a lot of whatever we feel like to talk. So we're going to talk it. No big deal. Nice. Get a, get a get a cup of coffee. Nice. Maybe a piece of cake. Maybe a little schwickadelle. Nice cookie. Nice. We'll talk New York sports. That's all. All right? Maybe get the Milanazette cookies. Those are nice. Those are good. And we're going to talk New York sports. We're going to be joined later on in the show by Joe Caparoso from TurnOnTheJets.com and also his uh, podcast, the TOJ Podcast now, which is on Pro Football Central on their radio network. Uh, Joe has joined us before. He's a fantastic guest. His website is um, is tremendous. They do a tremendous job over there. He's got, a, he's got I think, like 37 writers now. Um, There's new content every day. Uh, they cover the Jets. He's on a mission to civilize. He is Will McAvoy. Um, So he'll be joining us later on in the program. We were going to be joined by Matt Cerrone, the founder of MetsBlog.com, the godfather of the sports team blog um, on the SNY.TV network of blogs. Unfortunately, Matt had to cancel very last minute. Uh, He had a family situation that he needed to attend to. uh, So we hope everything's cool with Matt, and we really appreciate it. And we'll get to him in the fall. He's been great to us. He's been a friend of the podcast. He was one of the first guests we ever had on uh, two years ago. And, uh, of course, Matt uh, does a tremendous job with MetsBlog.com. If you're a Mets fan and you don't go to MetsBlog.com at least once a day, uh, that's confusing to me. Just because it's a great <laughs> it's a great place to, to start your day as a Mets fan because he's a curator um, and he's very, very good at it. So uh, hopefully we'll catch up with Matt down the road. Uh, so with all that formality of episode 146 out of the way, 
It's time to bring in the co-host of the program. Cal. The man they call Cal. Well, the man I I call Cal. Cal Stradamus. Yes, he's uh, prescient. He's omnipresent. He is just back from an engagement in his hometown of Alberta, Canada. He's not from Alberta at all. But he plays Canada a lot. He's a he's a bit of a comedian on the side. What are you, some sort of comedian? Yes. Yes, I am. He's Mr. Brian Calniva. Calpino Caliente. Brian Calvi. Hi, Brian. Hello, Stephen. How is oh. Alberta? It's nice. It's nice this time of year. Nobody knows where Alberta is, by the way. Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Out on the west coast. The left coast of Canada. Is the... Is the west coast of Canada similar to the west coast of the United States in that it's liberal, it's loose, they let their hair down out there? Is it – what's that about? I, um, I have no idea what, what it's like out there. No, no clue. You just, no. Got, you just got back from an engagement out there, though. I, yeah, I, but the, I, I fly in and I fly out same day. <laughs> you fly in, do the show, you get out of there. It's, yeah, I don't – it's quick. That's smart. Well, I got to get back for tonight. I had to get back for this show. That's right. And I know what, where my bread is buttered. That's right. And what it, I love that saying. I don't know what it, I don't know what it means. Oh, you know what it means. No, don't I, play. Don't be coy. You know what I, it means. I have no idea. It just it's a great saying. I just I don't know what it means. That's one of those sayings that it really doesn't even matter. Because it really doesn't even matter what the derivation is, where it started. None of it matters because it says exactly it just sounds right. Look, buddy, I know where my bread is buttered. All right. Of course, I'm not gonna. Of course, I'm not gonna do that. I know where my bread is buttered. That's. Uh, I don't know what. I don't know yeah. what that means either. But I love that, it. Well, but you, that one, and you know, it's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Right. You don't. It doesn't. Well, I mean, that one. You know what that is. Well, I have no. Yeah, they used to do that. They used to throw the baby out. That's right. With the like, all right, That's this right. baby's done getting clean. Let's, let's get rid of this baby. Did you remember to take the baby out of the bath before? Oh, I've done it again. I've thrown the baby out with the bath water. How could I do it? that one? At least you have an idea of the visual of that. The that's, you a, know that's why? a horrifying visual, though. We do want to know why. Who is that? Did you hear a voice? I was just about to introduce the other the other uh the, the other element sending over the crowd on a series of wires trailing a long cape. It is I. And then also you're here. <laughs> right. And so then also look at PJ. Right, that's happening. But that's how we're bringing in Joe Caparoso from turnonthejets.com. <laughs> He's is that coming. What that email meant? That's yeah. Did you, Easy. We didn't pay our insurance premium this month. Did you Easy not, with that. Did you not get the schematic that was attached to that email on how to build the harness and everything so we could fly Joe Cap in? That's the the darn intern forgot the attachment again. And fired. I have a very old computer that does not do JPEG yet. <laughs> uh, throw the baby you, out with the bathwater was you should the, look uh, for an the, upgrade. <laughs> In the in the tradition of the the family bath, oh, when, okay. when when 
people didn't bathe so often, and they would often have bath day. Everybody would be in the would use the same bathtub, and you know it would it would go simultaneously. In. Well, like if the, no, but just usually you know dad would go first, then mom would go first, right. and it would go down oh. the line. And one usually by the time the youngest would that. bathe, the water would be so dirty. Dot dot dot. Don't throw the Don't baby throw the out. Baby out with the bath water. Oh, I see. Because you lose the baby. <laughs> but see, now I always thought of it. It's it makes more sense when you say it like that. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because I always thought it was. It's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> Which just <laughs> means what, what? Well, that's what I. What could possibly be like that? That makes no sense. Makes more sense now. Be, being in a rush and making a mistake to get finished, I guess? I, I'm telling you, it, it freaked me out all these I, years. You've cleared I, it up, though. I think your problem is you put the it's just like at the beginning of this. Right. <laughs> As if it were an actual scenario that happened. <laughs> Words missing and phraseology. That'll, that'll be done. I like how we've combined those. I like how we've combined those cards now. We're gonna, we have to. We have to on that one because they're too yeah. short. The segment. Uh, absolutely. Uh, well, it's good to know that you can do that with phrases. Like you can. It's just like. It's just like buttering your bread. Like that doesn't. There's that doesn't do anything for you. No. You can't it's just. That. It's. It's just like two birds in the hand or or two hands in the bush. What's that one? A bird, A bird in the, in the, hand, the hand is hand. worth nine. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, which, by the way, sounds filthy. Nine, nine in the bush. It's not nine in the bush. It can't possibly be nine in the bush. Well, yeah, it can <laughs> very easily be nine in the bush. I mean, I, no, I reject that. I, re- I reject that notion. I'm, what by the way, I'm, kind of birds are you talking about? <laughs> are they small birds? If they're small, then they're, a bird in one hand can be worth nine. It doesn't like a, matter. Like a macaw. That's a a macaw is small. I thought a macaw was big. No. Wow. We, I was hoping we'd be all over the place. We did it. Good job, everybody. <laughs> it Good is two. Sorry. Four. It's two. I don't know where I got New nine York from. <laughs> I don't know where I got nine from. You just want it to be nine. It's just like a bird in the hand being worth nine in the bush. Well, that's what we just, now that's I have to just, find out where, where, but where did I pluck nine from? I, I gotta have taken it from a different phrase. We have two problems. Phraseology. And wordsmithing. Yeah. <laughs> wordsmithing in that should be like a disclaimer. And wordsmithing. Oh, speaking of wordsmithing, I was. I, this is this is so good. And then I'm, I'll leave you guys alone. Sure. I'm putting together my music library not, for iTunes. My giant, you know, putting. <laughs> oh, it's fine. I am. I know I am. So yeah, all, the many thousands of my guy? CDs are are Just going now. into my my iTunes library, and I came across um, the very first professional recording that I was involved in. I didn't play on it, but it was the first thing that I was involved in that went to an album. Oh wow! And and um, our buddy uh, Tommy B was on it as well. Wow, the big redhead. This is going. Tommy this is going way back. Can you guys guess the name of the track? The first, the first real track that I was ever involved in, 
in the recording the name, industry. The name of the name of the song. I think you told yeah. us this. You might know it. Wasn't it uh, Ananthema? No. <laughs> <laughs> callbacks. We got callbacks. See. <laughs> I like how the callback song is like real Broadway. I agree. <laughs> we got callbacks. We got callbacks. Callbacks here. Is it comfortably numb? I was not involved in the recording of comfortably numb. And this in is contrast. Like you would have been. <laughs> you were nine. Very very bad. No, this this was nineteen ninety six or ninety seven. If 96 I had the or 97. I could, is there? You know. I mean, is there any possible way I will know this song? Any possible? Do you know? Well, do you know the discography of MC Light? Not uh, offhand. Of okay. MC Light? Yes. MC? No, I don't. MC All Light. Right, you I, were you were on Bust a Move? Let me. <laughs> let, I'll tell you the name of the track, and then I'll go get the phone. Okay. Or do you want me to get the phone first? You should probably get the phone first. You should first. probably get the phone first. It might be Matt right. Cerrone. Suspense! <laughs> he's, he's going to get the phone now. I, I would hope. I wonder if this... Uh, Cal, this could be Matt Cerrone calling in. He did have a family situation, but maybe he's been able to uh, to extricate himself. I find it's best to not speculate. I, <laughs> I find it's best to speculate wildly. Wildly? Responsibly, right? This is sports talk, is it not? Right, that's what we should be doing. You're right. This is this is New York sports talk. We should be speculating wildly and completely irresponsibly. Like this could be Mark Sanchez for all we. This could be, right? Maybe it is. Maybe it's maybe maybe it is Mark Sanchez. Let's speculate. (laughs) I got the phone. I yeah I see that you got the phone and this is it's not Matt Cerrone, Cal. That's why I said it's not wise to speculate. It is Mark Sanchez. Oh, so that's oh my so that's. God. I hope you have a list of questions. I hope I you have. Can, I hope you can think of something. I don't to know what ask I, Mark oh. Sanchez. Sheesh. I rack my brain what he's yeah. done this week. You gotta you gotta really come up with something. No, this is actually I'm very excited about this call. Because we were we were going to talk Mets with Matt Cerrone. This is a guy, honestly, Cal, he's one of the great Mets fans. He's a huge fan of our show. He's been listening since Jump Street. And I've been... <laughs> Peter DeLuise is calling in? It, it is. 21 Jump Street. I love that show. Love that show. Sorry, I did. I, it was great. Did you watch it at uh, in reruns like 5 o'clock on like a weekday, right? Wasn't it on like sure. PIX? Sure. Watch the movie. Did you see the movie? Did not see the movie. Wasn't bad. Did a nice job? Eh, I was low expectations, but it wasn't bad. If you go in with low expectations and you've got Channing Tatum and Seth Rogen, or uh, no, not Seth Rogen. Uh, uh, Jonah Hill. The other one there. See what I did there? <laughs> That's terrible. Right, now I'm my grandmother. It's on the line. The other one there, the the young boy, he's Jewish, I think. He's very good, very talented. Sometimes he's chunky. Ben Stiller? That's the one that Ben Stiller's talented. Do you know who his mother and father are? Sure, the Costanzas. N- no, Stiller and Mira, very of, famous. One of the Costanzas. Hilarious. You who know is how, on the line? Sorry. You're I, killing me. That got away from me there. Um, <laughs> it's, it's MC Light. 
<laughs> believe it or not. No, it's 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 a guy named uh, Bob. Uh, we're we're going to call him Bob in Nashville. He actually is in Nashville. Um, I've known this man for many, many years. I uh, learned how to be a Met fan. What is that, Nashville music? Is that what you're going for there? <laughs> I honestly, Cal, I learned how to be a Met fan. My Met lineage comes through this guy. He's a big, huge portion of it. And we, all the things we were going to talk with Matt Zerone about, we can talk with him about. Excellent. Yeah, he's he's a tremendous math fan. Let's bring him in. Uh, let's let's welcome him to the program. Uh, Bob Bobby, Bobby Ben. Uncle Uncle Steve, how are you? <laughs> how are you, Bobby? Thanks so much for calling into the show. This is uh, I am of course uh, the Sam Pete uh, portion of the show, and uh, this is Cal. Please meet Cal. Hello, Cal. How are you? I understand I'm you good, met Bobby. my daughter. I understand you met my daughter Michelle. Yes, yes, very nice. Right. So this okay. is this this is how uh, we Bob uh, Bobby's actually a, a cousin of mine, um, and a dear and beloved family member. Bob, thank you so much for calling in. How are you, man? Feeling good about Fine. this seven? Uh, and I'm about uh, 20 miles north of uh, Nashville, called Hendersonville, Tennessee. Okay. Uh, and you've you've already visited here, if you remember. That's correct. That ago. was the first. First time I was ever on a plane, Cal. Really? How long ago? I was 13. That was the summer of seventh, between seventh and eighth grade, I believe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, that was prime Met time too. That was '87. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and, looking to uh, repeat. That's right. We were looking for the repeat. It might have been between. No, yeah, it was between seventh and eighth. And um, I was uh, seeing a young girl named Michelle. Michelle D. One of my first kisses there. Oh, yeah, yeah, very, very good. I, in fact, Bob, you'll you'll love this. That was the first time I was ever on a plane. Went down there with my dad and uh, my brother Scott and Bob and his wife uh, Deb and and their kids could not have been more gracious. And uh, oh, thanks for I, saying that, Steve. <laughs> no, you were. You guys were wonderful. And I, I, that 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 trip is is forever etched in my memory. It was a wonderful time. And um, I kissed that girl the day I was getting on the plane. Oh boy! Yeah, that, I had my first like serious kiss the day before getting on that plane. So I was, yeah, I was riding. What a memory! High, what a memory! I was riding. I went to Opryland, Cal, feeling good. You weren't even flying on the plane, were That's, you? Yeah, here it is, exactly yeah, like that. There's a John Denver song in here somewhere. There's uh so Bob, tell us we we were going to talk to Matt Cerrone <laughs> tonight. He was unable to come on. I know you read Mets blog. I know you've been reading Mets blog for a long time. Well, I've been reading a lot of things for a long time. <laughs> I, I go back to the Mets. Uh, I actually remember uh, my father. I don't know if you remember, remember my father, but we went to a, a Dodger game in Everett's Field. That's when I became a baseball fan, actually. And, so that was um, the first game you ever went a, to, Bob? Yeah, 19, uh, 1957. And um, my father was in construction. I don't know if you remember that also, but... Uh, he uh, he uh, he had a friend called Carl Ferrillo, who played right field for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Sure. And Carl Ferrillo and Carl Ferrillo worked for Otis Elevator at the time. These guys, you know, they didn't make any money, of course. And uh, he used to talk about him well. And we went to a game, and uh, and uh, you know, I read the book uh, Peter Golden Book's book about the Boys of Summer, 
sure. pretty much distinctly tell you know uh, explains why I'm a, a baseball fan is you know being from uh, from Brooklyn of course uh, going to to a baseball game at night with the lights and the white uniforms and green grass and the ball flying out there and we're in you know right field and uh, and you know it's just stuck in my memory and I became a big baseball fan from that time when the uh, of course uh, the uh, you, you, when they left, uh, you know, uh, that was hard, you were heartbroken. Everybody was heartbroken sure. in Brooklyn, of course. Right. And then, uh, and then, uh, uh, when the uh, Mets were coming into existence, <clears throat> or thought about coming into existence back in there, about 1960. Okay, uh, we jumped on board. Actually, we went to uh, Polo Grounds. Sure. And uh, saw the Mets play, and uh, and then. Uh, Really lived at Shea Stadium, double headers and all. Uh, my brother, <laughs> who still lives in Brooklyn, and I used to go to Shea Stadium, take the uh, bell, and uh, go for the first game. You know, go up uh, to the nosebleed section of the front row back in uh, you know first game. Go downstairs after the first game, and all the people who had the great seats, okay, uh, we would get the seats. Ask for them to give us seats because they wouldn't stay for the two games. Got to see right. some unbelievable games. <laughs> Got to see uh, Jim Bunning pitch a perfect game on Father's Day. I remember yeah. that. You were at uh, that game. Twenty-three inning game. Twenty-three uh, wow. inning game. They played the Giants. The second game of, war, of a doubleheader, and but we couldn't <laughs> stay because you know again, uh, you know we were young and we I, I we had to get home. I sure. don't have to explain that to you. I don't think. No, nope. <laughs> there was no question. Don't. We had to get home, but uh, <laughs> we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. And hey, Bob, then, uh, you when, know, and, yeah. No, I was going to say, in that, in that time between the Dodgers leaving and the Mets yeah. coming into existence, right. number one, what, what, do you, what do you do as a fan during those five or six years or, or whatever it was? And number two, was there any consideration to rooting for the Yankees? Well, I was going to ask you one more answer. Uh, we would root against the Yankees. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> He had a lot of cats. As a matter of fact, uh, Cal, you're going to love this story. You're going to love this story because here in Nashville, we have AAA. Right now, it's the uh, Nashville Sounds, our sure. AAA team of uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, but they've, the Yankee Farm team used to be here. You know, And okay. I remember one day, uh, a bunch of us went to see the Sounds play in Nashville, and the Yankees were, you know, the Yankee team, the Sounds, was playing the Memphis Chicks, which was the farm team of the Montreal Expos at the time. And uh, somebody asked me who I was going to stand up for in the seventh inning. And uh, so I quickly came back and said I was going to stand up for the umpires. <laughs> <laughs> so Bob, does that you... kind of explain? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does it, yeah. It absolutely does. Bob, you've been in you you've been down in Nashville, you know, obviously you, you uh, as you mentioned, you grew up in Brooklyn. Uh you've been down in Nashville for what 30? 20 Yeah, we moved down here in yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I moved down here. We moved down here in 1977. And wow. we didn't have anything. There was no sports and killed it really killed me because I was a big Islander fan also. Yes. And the only time I would be able to get the Islanders, or the, you know, is if they were playing on on, on TV, okay, right. and if I was lucky. And and uh, I think I explained to you, Steve, the, the biggest the biggest uh, disappointment I think, and cause I caused a heck of a lot of trouble here for the local television <laughs> station because 
1980, they're playing the seventh game of the Stanley Cup versus the uh, Philadelphia Flyers, and it was on the CBS network, except here in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> right. And, and and you know and you know so I was I was starving for it, and you know and then cable came in and TV. Now the radio was another situation because uh, you know the Mets were on uh, 660 AM, and you could get that in a lot of places, but here not in Nashville because. The big country station here is WSM, and that's on 650. So it would block right. that. So the only time I ever got to listen to the Mets, if they played in Pittsburgh or if they played in St. Louis, and I would pick up those games, or even Chicago, pick those games up on radio. So right. it was it, for, for a long time. You can imagine, uh, you know, uh, being as, you know, you know, being in a big sports not like I was, or growing up that that way, that I missed that. And then, I, and the third part was. Uh, you know the Jets. You know, you, you know, being here yeah. in Nashville, you can imagine. You know, this is the land of the. Uh, this was the land of the uh, America's team. So all you got to see was the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> I mean, sure. Okay. Right. And uh, you know, so it was. Uh, you know, so. But then we talk about it. Yeah. We talk about it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to say, Bob. We talk about it a lot. The idea that how much easier it is to be a displaced sport, uh, sports fan now. Like, I, I even go oh, back, yeah, well, yeah. you know, 10 well, years like tonight, ago. Tonight, I watched a game on the, on the computer. I watched a game on the computer tonight. So, right. I mean, that's great. I mean, and I'll tell you what the biggest thrill is that I can put it, I get, the, you know, with the, uh, with the uh, with serious radio or or uh, internet, I can go outside my backyard, turn on the radio, I'm going to think I'm in my backyard in Brooklyn. Right. Right. Yep. I, I. You know what? Sometimes I. I. I do that, Bob, and I know Cal does too. You know, you guys. Sometimes yeah. I'll just. I'll. I'll take the radio outside with me, and I'll sit on my back porch and I'll listen to the ball game on the radio because there still is nothing quite like baseball on the radio. And and. Uh, oh, I agree. You know, it, it's just got to be such a thrill after all these years of being down there. Now, one of the things that you've been great at, and and Cal has a question for you too. Well. Uh, just to finish up that note, one of the things you've uh, been great at or or have done a great job with is your daughters. I mean, aside from being wonderful people, um, but you managed to <clears throat> instill the fanhood uh, that you grew up with in them. Oh, yeah, well, it was, you know, well, it was really great because natural. when they were – both my daughters are married, and you, which, which you know. Uh, but yeah. the, what was really cool is when somebody would come and date either one of them. And you know the first thing they would say to me, and I knew you know I knew it was kind of you know a fallacy, but they you know they would come and say to me, well you know I'm a, I liked the Mets, and I'd say yeah I bet you like the Jets too. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how many of those converted Met and Jet fans there wound up being down but in the, Hendersonville. And then I have a lot of fun when the Titans came into Nashville, of course. Right. Uh, you know, I you know, of course, the Jets used to be called the Titans, and, and actually, the Titans, the uh, Houston had the Oilers had to get permission from the Jets to use the name, and a lot of these oh. people here didn't know that. So you could imagine how many what we would do at a in the bar, and I would bet them that I was a Titans fan before any of them, and, uh, and I just <laughs> had a lot of fun with that. So, hey, Bob. so there are advantages, you know. Well, Bob, you go you go all the way back with the Mets, and I, I just wanted to uh, share share with us one of your favorite um, favorite memories of the Mets. You know, we Steve and I talk about it all the time, and you know, we don't go as far back as you know we go right. back to like 
1980 is about where we stopped right. with what we can remember. So you well, probably I got to say, further back. I, well, I, I can answer that one, I think, easier, too, because the Mets were always interested in the fans, you know? Uh, you know, when they used to have this uh, batter day stuff, okay? I mean, it was, you know, this thing never stopped when they used to do that. I mean, they, people were out there parading. And, you know, and they were always used to, you know, it, it, I... I guess you can explain it this way. There was a difference between how you were treated as the, with the Yankees treated their fans versus what the, how the Mets, you know, or the, even the Brooklyn Dodgers treated their fans. Okay, and 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 you got that warmth. I remember walking around, seeing Nancy Siever walking around in the stadium saying hello, going after the game, you know, meeting these ball players, you know, and. And, and, and they, they went out of their way to talk to the people. So you, you stay. They, they like the fans, and I think the uh, I think the team. You know, I don't know if they do that today. It's a different world, of course, today. But no. it was, it was <laughs> no, interesting. I remember taking a train ride with a couple of coaches from the Mets back in the in the '60s. I mean, they, they, no. these guys, these were just common people, you know. And that's why I think the Brooklyn Dodgers were the same way because you hear the story, and I know you read the stories about, you know, the people used to live. The, most of the players in Brooklyn used to live with near the near the the, the people, you know. Yeah. And, yeah, and, no, and they so that among them, you know. So that yeah. was a big deal. I think that was a big deal. Okay, and I think yeah. that instilled in in, in you uh, the warmth of being a Mets fan. You know, and you'd you go down there and you don't know who you're going to meet, and it was no trouble. It was it was pretty cool, you know. I mean, it was really yeah. it was really really interesting to uh, everybody had a everybody had a goal to see this team grow. Okay, because after right. all, they came from nothing, and grows just like the uh, just like the uh, Islanders. If you think about it, it was you know I, I of course was a big jet, a, a Ranger fan. I, I had nothing against the Rangers, but when the Islanders came into existence, this was my kind of team. I was going to grow with this team, right. and, and it was it was really cool, you know. Yeah, uh, so, and, and you brought up uh, you, know. you you brought up an interesting name, Bob, and I wanted to ask you about this uh, and and draw on your vast experience as a Met fan. And and sort of tie it into today because there's a lot of that uh, there's a lot of that missing right now with the current ownership. There's a, there's unfortunately over the last few years um, the fan has been sort of they they've sort of lost track of that that idea that the fan comes first and and um, and and I remember that as a kid even going to my first Met games that there was a great sense of community there that whether the team was good or bad there was. Uh, a, a feeling that you were at least important when you were at the ball game, and that's sort of gone away a little bit. But to tie together some things, now I'm sure you know at various times you saw Seaver, uh, you saw Tom Seaver pitch, and one of the things that's um, you know an indelible memory uh, or an image to me of the Mets is that Friday night at Shea. Uh, now it's starting to happen at City. We have it happening tomorrow night where Matt Harvey uh, is going to pitch on a Friday night in the summer against the Nats. It's a big game. It's actually a relatively, believe it or not, hot ticket in this town. I mean, the Mets will probably put thirty or 35000 there tomorrow night simply because it's Matt Harvey. I go back to 1984 and USA Cap Night on a Friday night where Dwight Gooden struck out 17 Cubs. Um were, were there night? Obviously, there were. What were nights like that with Seaver, like a Friday night well, Seaver against the Cubs? It, you know, of course, of course, I didn't remember it 
as big as as you're talking about a Harvey deal because you know Harvey's you know this is something that's that's come about the Mets were developing they were developing pitchers you know you you you're going back to the days when Kuzman was around and and, and Seaver was around and these young kids started coming up uh, and and it didn't really matter who was pitching uh, they just wanted to see the team win. I mean, you, right. before you know, before Seaver, you know, you had some good pitchers. Uh, they they were, you know, of course, the Mets weren't playing that well, you know, well, but they were developed. <laughs> I mean, right. they were. That was a very brilliant move on on uh, Joan Payson and, and and the management to the Mets at the, when they first came about in getting old Brooklyn Dodger and Giant players. I mean, right. think about the Houston Astros, okay, which came into existence at the same time, or the Houston Co. Forty Five, so if you remember. Okay, right. they came in the same year as the Mets. Didn't do as well as the Mets because they tried to go after. They tried to go after the. You know, there was no history there. The Mets were brilliant in the idea of trying to bring to build the history. You know, right. bring the history and people will miss. Now, today, you know, there's been mistakes made. I agree with you. Okay, I agree that you know, putting a a rotunda, you know, based you know with the Robinson and thinking about all the Brooklyn Dodgers stuff and all that stuff. There was a time and place for that. That's that's gone. Okay, you're absolutely it right. Been, it should have been yeah. Mets all along. Okay, yeah. And 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 there was a lot of history. You know, you know, you got, you know, if you think about it, you had some great announcers on you know, radio and TV. You had some, uh, you had the Kiner's Corner. I don't know if they do even do something like that anymore. It was it was it was fun. No, it was a lot of fun. I love Kiner's Corner. <laughs> I love you know, Kiner's Corner. I yeah, said, it was I love time, kind of though, you know? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know, you had Lin- Lindsey Nelson with the crazy... <laughs> you yeah. know, this this yeah. team had enough of its its own history. I mean, you made a great point there. You know, there, there, was a, there was a reason to bridge the history with the Brooklyn Dodgers and the 62 Mets when they first came into existence. So you give the fans uh, of a new team a bridge there. But in 2009, there, there was no need for it. And I think that's a, I think that's a frustration of... Our generation yeah. of Met fan is that okay. you know we have our own history. We have the '69 Mets. We yeah. have the '86 Mets. You know when are when are those guys? Do you see, Bobby? You you lived through the cash and rebuilding years. You lived through the yeah. M. Donald I, Grant years. Yeah. Um, do you see similarities to to the M. Donald? Yeah, Grant I see it right now. And I got to tell you, you know, you and I talk, a little, had a little text messaging seminar a mm-hmm. while ago, and you know, <laughs> I watched the game tonight. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know how much you've seen recently, but they picked up this guy from Colorado that plays. Yeah, I mean that's one of the keys. They needed a spark plug like him out there. Okay, Cal's favorite yeah, He player. got on base again a couple of times tonight. Okay, right. And then you know, and and they needed that that kind of momentum, you know, builder. Okay, uh, you know, I this guy Murph uh, Murph's playing second base. Okay, he kind of reminds me of the old. Baseball player who gets dirty. He might not be the best, but for me, my, he's my kind of ball player because he's hustling yeah. all the time. He's a gamer. Uh, you know, he's the guy that should go to the All Star game, in my opinion. Okay, because <laughs> he's played a hell of a, a, a second base. Okay, but the uh, uh, you know the the right who's playing a tremendous 
third base right now. When he first comes, think about what he was like when he first came up there. He had a problem throwing the first base. He, he's developed over the time, over, over a period of time now. But it, it's uh, it's starting to develop. I watched the, you know, you watch. You mentioned Harvey. That's great. They got a couple. I, I, by the way, you know, I'm I'm such a fanatic. I even watched the '51 games. Okay, you know, I told you, you know, I'm nuts, but but yeah. uh, I watched some of that stuff. There's some good ball players down there. Okay, they, they, you know, uh, I watched the minor leagues because that's I remember watching the minor leagues, and the only way we used to watch it is by getting the sporting news would have which have, would have all the numbers in it. You know, uh, right. all the minor league teams for the Mets. You know, and and, and we grew with the team. So, hey, Bob, Bob you watch the Las Vegas? You watch the Las Vegas? How's Ike Davis doing down there? <laughs> Ike Davis is, pre, is doing very well. I mean, you know, you've so heard serious, about it. He's, yeah. I think he was batting, three, he's batting 300. He had, he's batting 300, and he's, uh, you know, he's playing first base, obviously. But, I mean, uh, he's, he's hit some, some, uh, some, some good balls, okay? He, he, I think he's got, he had a confidence problem. I don't know, yeah. you know, and and I think that's what they're trying to sell. This guy Backman, the coach. I, I don't know if the uh, from what I read, <laughs> there's uh, some some people in the, at least the media don't like him for some reason. But he he's my kind of ball player. You know, he was my yeah. my ball player back in '86, and he's, yep. I said he's that kind of manager. He's going to get those guys, you know, uh, in, uh, jumping in the mud. You know what I mean? And getting dirty and all those kind of that. You know, absolutely. But, um, you know. I, this is the kind of baseball I'm used to, you know, and yeah, hustling. We, and, and, we, and none of this guy, you know, everybody running. To, think about the guy the other night, okay, I don't know, uh, who uh, the guy pops up the ball. This was two nights ago when they played uh, Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy pops up the ball, and he's running around the bases. Like the game was over. He scores, okay, but the guy yeah. drops the ball. Think about that, you know. What's the yeah. chance of that happening? You know? Yeah, well, the, the, you, that's you what's know, the two about baseball. Yeah? The two guys you, you mentioned there, uh, on that particular play the other night against the White Sox, the guy running hard all the way from second base was David Wright, who scored the right. you know the tying That's run right. and and right. Murph and Murph was yeah, he, uh, jogging to first and was really pissed off. He thought he had ended the game or whatever. That's exactly and he, right. Yeah. He should have been on second base, but here's the kind of ball player that Murph is, and I and I like this. He picked his spot and he got to second base. He stole. That's right. He stole like That's on the second right. pitch after that. He stole that. another he, base tonight, by the way. Steve. Did he really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, yeah. there's pieces. There's, you're absolutely right. There's pieces. I think we we got extraordinarily excited about last Tuesday, you know, Super Tuesday, where Harvey and Wheeler went in the same day, and you right. got a, a sort of glimpse of, of of the rebuilding prospect here. Let me let me ask right. you uh, one more, Bob, and then we're going to run for we got the uh, the turn on the Jets guy, who I know. I I uh, I got your daughter's reading that, or uh, you know, at least Michelle reading that website or whatever, and uh, this guy is. He's he's uh, this kid. He's a kid, Bob. He's like he's like twenty five. Uh, but he's, oh my he's, gosh, that's yeah, that's a kid. <laughs> he's, uh, he's phenomenal. He's doing a heck of a job at on uh, turnonthejets.com. dot com. But, uh, you, but 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 before I let you go, you you have uh, a great sort of positive outlook about the Mets, uh, but more about I've always liked your outlook on sports and on and especially on baseball where you just have a sort of calmness about you <laughs> uh you know a serenity about it um that's really missing i think from our generation of met fan and and especially the generation below us 
Um, it's 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 really missing. Is that or how how did how did you develop that that sort of calmness? Well, I can you can't imagine the kind of people I meet up here are all these Braves fans, you know, and and a lot of Cardinal fans here, you know. I'm sorry. But then I think about a couple of buddies of mine that are Chicago Cubs fans. Right. And they're pretty doing pretty well <laughs> as an organization compared to the, the Cubs. Okay, I and you know, and Houston, and you know, I mentioned the Houston Astros. Okay, yeah. I mean, think about that. Okay, here's here's a team that came into the Mets came into existence. They won two World Series. Yeah, you know, Steve, it's easy to be a Yankee fan. It is. It is. See, I mean, it's, it is easy, but I don't want to be one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I it's the same now, thing, you know, with the Jets. Think about it. Think about think about what the Jets are going through now. You know, I mean, yeah. oh, I mean, I it's do. Easy often. to be a Giants fan. It's it. Same situation. Right. Easy to be yeah. a Giants fan. I was a Giants fan. I mean, we had no choice back then, remember? But right. the uh, but when the, you know, but I'm a Jets fan. Yeah. It was easy to be a Ranger fan, but I was an Islander fan. Okay. Yeah. And and you know it's it's as you grow, we we had the opportunity to grow with these teams. The history, you know, you talk to a Yankee fan. What's the first thing the Yankee? Fan? Oh, when you win twenty or whatever it is, twenty eight World Series, that we could talk. Well, you know what? I'm not going to be around when they win when the Mets win twenty eight World Series. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. You know? Right. <laughs> so so I'm you know, win or lose, I'm a Mets fan. I'll always be a Mets fan. I'll always be a Jets fan. It's not going to change, okay? It's something you know. Uh, you know, people think I'm I'm nuts, and I say, well, there's a reason because you know, Steve, I'm part Polish. You know, I've yeah. told you this, right? I'm part Polish. Well, you know, I'm a Mets Jets fan because all I have to do is change one letter. <laughs> That's right. It was the easiest option. That's right. That's easy, I, and I use that, and I use that to my advantage too. By the way, everybody just laughs, you know. I tell you what, okay. Cal, I'll I'll never forget going down there on that trip. And you're talking about the height of my Met fandom. Okay. Yeah, I mean yeah. Jet Jet fandom too. But the height of and we went down in the summer, summer of '87. You know where I was yeah. like actually probably pissed that I had to miss Met games. Mm-hmm. You know, right. like like my father wants to take us on this trip, and I'm like, wait a minute, you're telling me I have to miss like five games this week? Right. You know, and and imagine my delight when I get down there, and I and I find out that Bob is this magnificent Mets fan who's obsessed with the Mets as I am, and we're getting the papers the next morning and like looking up the box scores, and talking about Kevin McReynolds and talk, you know, just we're, you know, locked in. Bob, I tell you, it's one of my favorite memories uh, of all time. And uh, I I, I got to tell you, I got to be honest, I appreciate it. I really do. Because you know what? Is I, I love my dad, and I know you do too. But, yeah. he, but he, I think sometimes he still, to this day, looks at me and shakes his head when he hears me talk well, about Well, I told you that's because I was in the Navy, he was in the Navy, he was in the Airdale, and I was the real Navy. Right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Bob, thank you so much so, for, for giving us a shout Oh, I will. Hey, Cal, so, you, you take it, Cal, you take it easy. It's nice meeting you. Someday we'll meet in person, okay? Absolutely, absolutely. and thanks for the stories, Bob. They were great. Okay, thanks, you have Bobby. a good evening, guys. All okay, right, let's go take back. Care. Thanks, Bobby. Bye. Okay, take care. Bobby Ben. I mean, just fantastic, Cal. Oof. I, 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 just, I get such a kick out of talking to the old-time Mets fans because yep. they fill the gaps in for us. They really do. 
you they know? They really do. And and you know what part that's part of what this show is about. I mean, part of what this show is about when we started doing it in the first place was for you and I to talk about sports and talk about the teams we love and reminisce about, you know, uh, reminisce about running into each other in the outfield in Little League or reminisce about going to an Islander playoff game, you know, for my 20th birthday, which we just remembered. Um, you know, it's it, that's what brings people, families together. It's rooting for these teams. And, and we get so obsessed with the negativity. Mm-hmm especially surrounding the Mets and the Jets and uh, lately but it's it's with the the Yankees and stuff too it's it's with the Yankees uh right now it's with the Knicks right now it's you know even giant fans are complaining about their team and they've won two world cha- you know two super bowls in the last 5 years it's it's it, it doesn't always have to be pom-poms and rah-rah and and everything sunny but you know, but you know what Steve? dogs and stuff but it's Freaking sports. But, Steve, if it is rah-rah and pom-poms and whatever, sunny dogs or whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> Do you have a sunny dog right now? Because my face lights up. Sunny, nothing nothing happier than a sunny dog. a sunny dog. No, but who cares? Yeah. If, you, if you are a fan and you want to go that route and you want to be pom-poms and happy about your team, who is, who is anybody to tell you you're wrong? Right. You know, you, you take a beating for that now, Brian. You take a huge beating. Yeah, and I don't, I, I, I don't get it. It was something that we were going to discuss, and we will discuss it a little bit with Joe Caparoso, who's uh, you know coming up in a couple of minutes. It's something that we were going to discuss with Matt Cerrone about the idea that you know Matt now has the uh, the SNY TV, and he's a part of uh, you know he's considered part of the Wilpon. And so he gets dinged all the time for not being negative or not saying bad things about the team on his website, which, by the way, he does. Mm-hmm. Just because he doesn't you know, denigrate the team at every twist and turn or every move that they make doesn't mean he's in the Wilpons' back pocket. And it also it doesn't mean that you're a better fan than That's somebody right. else because you're criticizing them. That's right. And because you're taking them to task. And, you know, you can, you can like Bob that just called in. Yeah. I would have a hard time picturing him being too critical of, of anything that goes on with the Mets. I think he just enjoys what happens with the Mets, and he's happy about the thing. You know, he talked about the infield. He went around the infield and talked about the guys. Yeah. You know, he talked about Daniel Murphy as an all-star. Right. If he was in New York, people would, would, would point fingers at him and say, yeah, you're, you're crazy. Right. But who, but who cares? He's a huge Met fan. He loves Daniel Murphy. He wants to see him on the all-star team. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with that. He enjoys his team. I tell you. That's what it was always supposed to be. Part of it, Cal, I swear, and we're going to have Joe Caparoso from TurnOnTheJets.com in just a second. Part of it makes me think, Cal, I should we should get out of town. I mean, I think part of the problem... Is this this the cliffhanger? (laughs) (laughs) Well, where would we go? (laughs) This is the uh, the last episode we're doing. We're going to take a little bit of a hiatus uh, for the rest of uh, the summer, most likely, unless something you know where we really have to do a show happens. Um, but <laughs> what it, could but, possibly go wrong? What could possibly happen? But we're we're probably going to be taking the rest of the summer off. Take a hiatus. I have a uh, a new little person on the way, and so we're going to take babyatus, which sounds oh, like a, I don't think we're going to call it that. Can we call it Babygate? <laughs> we got it with something gate. 
Right. My hiatus is Baby Gate. Right. Who knows? Why <laughs> Sam Peter? <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> let's go to the RTU newsroom. Baby Watch. <laughs> Stupid panda jerk. Um, still no baby. Back to you, Steve. <laughs> still no, still no baby. Back to you, Steve. Um, so we're gonna be taking a little bit of a hiatus or whatever. So that's not the cliffhanger, though. <laughs> okay. It sounded like right. we're gonna get out of town. We do have a cliffhanger. No, but it, just that idea that my family. Right. That idea that you are better off rooting for the Mets from Nashville, from Hendersonville, Tennessee, than you are from Bayside, New York. (laughs) In the Mets' backyard. Right. But Bayside, New York being, like, literally. You could could pretty much spit and hit City Field from where you are. Right. And and the the probable largest swath of Mets fans. (laughs) Concentrated Mets fans. Like if they put one of those area. graphics up with like the colors, the, right. the highest the highest density <laughs> the would be like Mets right fans. over your house. <laughs> exactly. Like one of the one of the selling points of me moving here <laughs> was that I walked on Bell Boulevard when we were looking at apartments and I had my Met hat on and there were like Met hats everywhere. And people were like, Yeah, Mets. Yeah, well this is it. This is it. This is it. That's right. I I put the flag down immediately. (laughs) Teresa's like, where did you get a flag? Why did you... Where did you even come from? Why are you putting a flag down on Bell Boulevard? And when did we get a crest? (laughs) When did you you decide on a family crest? Why does nobody think this is weird? (laughs) There are flags everywhere. (laughs) All right. We've done enough. We may not have them for that long, so we're being greedy. I have this intro music, Cal. I want to use this intro music, but you told me maybe it's too soon. But I don't mean it in this way. I mean it because he's a well, Jersey guy. So now you got to use it, and now we'll I get his response. Right. He's a Jersey guy. Uh, we just lost this fantastic actor, this icon. And I wanted to use this as his intro music before James Gandolfini tragically passed away way too soon. And I think it's good intro music for Joe. It's an honorarium. It's in honor of James Gandolfini. Huge Jet fan, by the way. Yes, I know. Huge Jet fan. And this guy uh, is joining us again, is a huge Jet fan as well, joins us uh, again. We haven't talked to him in a while. We're ecstatic to have him back on Ready to Unload. And uh, Joe Cap, welcome back to the program. I hope you understand that I mean this. I mean no disrespect. I mean this as, uh, as an honor. And a pleasure to have you back on the program. Hey, I'm, I'm happy to be back, guys. Uh, it, it's been long overdue, but I'm happy to be back. Exactly. And then maybe we get a little ham gobble ghoul nice, and we'll make a sandwich nice, and we'll talk about the Jets, all right? Forget about it. A little preserved, a little we should be all right. <laughs> uh, Joe, how are you, my man? What's going on? I'm, I'm doing good. I am so dedicated and happy to be on this show that I'm literally... I've walked out of a work dinner and I'm hailing a cab back to my apartment and I've called in and I'm happy to be here. Wow, you walked out of an awards dinner? No, a work dinner, a work dinner. It, it was time to oh, leave anyway. Like, <laughs> well, thank you. But if, if, you hear, if you hear me say, hey, 90th and 1st, I'm I, in the middle of this conversation, I'm just trying to hail a cab back uptown. <laughs> that, is, uh, that is magnificent dedication. That's the kind of stuff. I thought maybe you left an award on the table. That's right. <laughs> an award dinner. I wish, like, I, would, uh, I wish I was receiving an award today. 
Yeah, right. You're like, I, I uh, have to accept this. Wait, I got to go. I'm sorry. Thanks for this award. I really, uh, I got to go. Thanks, everybody. Enough is enough. I got to put my priorities. Right. <laughs> uh, Joe, we uh, we have a, a, a great list of things that we really want to get to you about uh, the Jets, about your blog, about your podcast. We're super excited about um, you starting the TOJ podcast. You just did episode number three the other night. It's on iTunes. It's on uh, ProFootballCentral, I believe, dot com. Uh, yeah. And uh, so congratulations on that. Congratulations on how well the site is doing. It is uh, super fantastic to have you back. And um, we have to start. We have to. We have to. We wouldn't be. It would be dopey not to, to be honest with you. We have to start with Aaron Hernandez and and the evolving situation with the expatriates tight end. Um, It's difficult, I think, Joe, sometimes to separate what it means – uh, in terms of football and what it means in real life. Like, what, what Aaron Hernandez has done, potentially, and is involved in is real life, like serious real-life stuff. Um, so I, I, I want to acknowledge that and then just and then just take it back to our little world and, and talk about the football aspect of it. Um, how, how much does this weaken the paths you can now make the argument with Gronkowski hurt and now Aaron Hernandez no longer a part of the team um, and that wide receiver core <laughs> that they may have they may have a worse receiving core than the Jets which is miraculous oh. <laughs> um, I, but you know, you know what, what does it what does it mean for the Pats what, what does it mean on the field and what does it mean off the field it, I mean off the field it it's been a very bizarre story watching this all unfold and has the information is gradually leaked out and then how everything moves so quickly the other day when he was arrested and the prosecutor presented his case that makes Hernandez sound like just a very cold-blooded killer and like one of the world's dumbest criminals ever and we're, we're continuing to get more and more information and it's it's, star- it's very startling because this is a guy you know you watch you watch him play on Sundays and it's, it's, it's almost mind-boggling that someone who just got a 40 million dollar contract would be involved in these kind of activities. Um, on the actual field, what's interesting about Hernandez is that people often will talk about replacing him and as a tight end. Really, Hernandez was really more of a receiver in that New England offense. He might have been listed as a tight end, but they used him in the slot. They used him as an H-back. He almost was really more of a receiver. So is he going to be replaced more by a receiver than a traditional tight end? It's not like a guy like Jake Ballard is going to step in and do what Hernandez did. They're just you know, that kind of athlete. Um, you know, to write New England off because they're having, you know, Hernandez is not obviously going to be around. Gronkowski has injury issues. You still can't even write them off because they're still easily the favorite in the AFCs because they have Brady, they have Belichick, and we've seen Tom Brady get to an AFC championship game with, with Shea Caldwell as his top receiver. Right. And, you know, you look at New England's receiving core, and they have Danny Amendola, and they have Julian Edelman, and they have a bunch of other cast-offs and rookies. And you look at, you look at some of the other receiving cores in the AFCs, notably the Jets, and you, you can't even you can still say that New England still has a benefit there, never mind having Brady and Belichick, never mind having the history of winning this division year in and year out, seemingly forever. So, yes, New England has taken a hit. This offseason, I'm sure it's not the way they drew it up. But ultimately, they're still the favorite in the AFC East. And what that means is that they're still going to be a top three or four seed likely in the AFC playoff race, unfortunately. 
<laughs> so we know that about the Patriots, but let's go back to the Jets now. What, um, what do you see them doing as far as possible additions in training camp? Training camp is about a month away. We've seen John Idzik bring some guys in. Do you think he's going to bring some other guys in for camp? Uh, honestly, I, I think three positions keep coming up when Jet fans talking about needed additions to the roster. Tight end, wide receiver, and safety. And when you look at these spots, the Jets brought in Kellen Winslow for a tryout at tight end. I think, judging from the tone of Rex Ryan's voice in his press conference, you could tell he had that kind of gleam in his eye, and he was that excited about what Winslow showed on the field. And I think the early returns on him were good, so I think they're going to stay pat there. I think you could see Winslow, Cumberland, Ruland, and maybe a couple of the untracted free agents rotating through. Wide receivers were a little more concerned because I look at what they have. I'm a very big Jeremy Crowley fan, and at this point, he's really the only sure thing in this group of receivers because Antonio Holmes can't even run as of right now. Stephen Hill just got fluid drain from his knee, and he was having a difficult time catching passes throughout OTAs. So what is really your depth right now once you get beyond those three guys? When you look at the veteran market, there's really not a lot, a lot of talent out there. I mean, would you guys be comfortable bringing a guy like Braylon Edwards back? Well, you know I would. <laughs> you know where I stand on Braylon Edwards. It's awkward. I mean, there's the restraining order and stuff. I mean, it's it's, it's really a... uncomfortable, Steve. <laughs> no, I, I I think I think Itzik is going to take a spaghetti at the wall approach. I mean, I think he has already, and I think he I I, I can foresee. I mean, he brought in um, uh, what's uh, Mike Sims Walker. Um, I think there are other veteran type receivers that I, I would not be surprised to see uh, Braylon Edwards get an invite or, or Brandon Lloyd if he's still out there. I would not uh, be surprised to see a lot of additions. I think a lot of it depends on Holmes. I think a lot of it depends on what Holmes is able to give them when training camp opens, if anything. They get to camp and he looks like he's five, six weeks away from running. I think you'll see additions made based on, on Holmes and, and, and to a lesser extent Hill, as you mentioned. One of the things, Joe, that he's done, a, uh, and, and you guys have broken down the tight end uh, and the running backs and, and the wide receivers really well. I want to get to the running backs real quick because I am excited about this group. And it turns out that, you know, uh, uh, Goodson's uh, little criminal dalliance wasn't even the worst thing, you know, to happen uh, in the division, let alone the NFL. Um, but right. I, I like what John Itzik has done a ton at the running back position. And, um, I, I know yep. there was an article recently about maybe Bilal Powell being in trouble or being on the bubble. Joe McKnight has said some things that we like to hear. Of course, everybody loves Joe McKnight when he talks. We would like to see him run the ball a little bit more. Um, how do you see the running back uh, situation shaking out? It was impossible to tell anything from minicamp because they're not even in pads. Um, I know you like Chris Ivory a ton. I like Goodson a ton. Um I think that's the most improved position maybe on the team um, with what they're bringing into camp. How do you see that uh, the running back position shaking out? Well, I think you said it well. I, I couldn't agree more about Ivory. I think he, if he can stay healthy, which is obviously the big question mark, he's going to become really almost probably the centerpiece of this Jets offense because it's going to be a run-heavy offense. And I think he's the unquestioned number one back. I think when you look just from a pure talent perspective, when you watch film of this guy running the football, he really has the makeup of a lead back and was kind of stuck in an offense in New Orleans where 
It was a crowded depth charge. It was a little bit more of a pass-heavy offense. And I think when you come to the Jets this year and you look at them and you see a decent amount of talent of running back and a very strong, potentially a very strong offensive line and a very weak group of receivers and tight ends, I think you're going to see an offense that's really going to want to run the ball, you know, 35 to 40 times a game and that could really lean on Chris Ivory as a 20-carry-per-week kind of guy. And I think he has the physical talent to handle that. Um, it's just going to be a matter of the durability. Can he stay healthy? Can he truly be a lead back for 16 games? Because I think if Chris Ivory plays 16 games behind this offensive line, he's going to be a 1,400-yard back. And I don't you know, say that lightly and, you know, as a Jets fan and someone who's excited about him. I think he really has the talent to be that kind of player. I think when you look behind him, if Mike Goodson is around, which I really hope he is because he was someone we were very excited about when they first got him, and then he kind of got swept under the rug a little bit after the Ivory trade. Another guy, very talented, who's been kind of limited because of his depth chart situation, Goodson really fills in behind Ivory as an ideal third down back. He has you, you know, unique speed to the outside, very good hands out of the backfield, and is the kind of guy who can give you you know, six to eight carries a week, catch two or three passes, and provide a big play element to your offense. And basically for fans who love Joe McKnight and always want more Joe McKnight, Goodson's a more polished, better version of him. He has the same speed and unique talent, but has proven a little bit more as a running back at the NFL and it has a little better vision and a little better durability as a running back. And then I think when you look behind them, you know, the, the column you guys were referring to, um, ESPN New York put it out today with a couple kind of head-scratching comments, one of which was no. Conrad <laughs> they referred to Conrad Ruin as a receiving tight end, which was a little confusing to me because he's really more of a blocking tight end. And they said that Powell was more in danger of losing his roster spot than McKnight, which to me I disagree with. Now, I'm somebody who loves McKnight's talent. I think he's been criminally underused since he's been here. But when you look at him compared to Powell, Powell does a little more, more of a complete back. And I think why he would stick on the roster over McKnight is because out of the four, out of the three backups to Ivory, he's really the only one who could spell Ivory, handle the inside runs. And yeah. beyond that, Powell's also a guy who can pass protect and be a serviceable third down back. Not an explosive third down back, but a guy who could pass protect, catch a couple passes out of the backfield. With McKnight, his pass protect is a little shaky. He can't run inside. He can't really stay healthy. So people go crazy about his ability to return kicks. Kick returners are a dime a dozen. Particularly in the jet scheme, you know, we've seen so many different guys cycle through, and I know Westhoff's not the coach anymore, but they're going to be using the same scheme and the same system. You can yeah. find kick returners. You know, you could put you could put an undrafted free agent like Zach Rogers back there. You could put Goodson back there. You could even put Clyde Gates, who's one of my least favorite players on the team, but you could even put him back there, a guy with good speed. <laughs> and, you know, you could get production. And that's why yeah. I think when you look at Powell, there's a value there for him as a number three back because he's the kind of guy who could back up Ivory and back up Goodson because he could run inside, spell Ivory, right. and he could pass protect and be a third down back when Goodson's out or if he's not around. Yep. I, I, Joe, you hit on a couple of key things there. Uh, here's another one that we haven't been able to talk about that Cal and I have talked about a ton and we're super excited about, 
and 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 by the way, it's okay to be excited about things as Jet fans. By the way, it's okay. It so is, you're allowed. It um, and that's Marty Morningwig. Um, and and you know, you guys have talked about it a lot on the site. Joe, I think he's the. I think that's the biggest offseason pickup that they made. Um, he may prove to be the most important. I know, you know, look, it's popular for Jet fans to hate the offensive coordinator and want a new one every year. I mean, this goes back to Paul Hackett. This goes back to Walt Michaels, you know, or, or Joe Walton, I should say. Um, this, is, this is like the backup quarterback with the New York Jets. He's always the most popular player on the team, um, and especially when his name is Tim Tebow. But you you have a guy in Marty Morningwig who maybe uh, – failed as a head coach uh, but is cut out to be an offensive coordinator and is one of the better ones in the game. And now that they've added him, Cal and I have talked a little bit about, Cal, you were talking about Goodson. Is it possible you know, uh, for Marty Morningwig to get Goodson in situations like he did with LaShawn McCoy or Brian Westbrook? Brian Westbrook? <laughs> Bryant? Am I confusing him? Am I confusing him with the point guard? Um <laughs> But, you know, Westbrook and McCoy getting these guys who have uh, good pass-catching ability, who can get up, you know, getting them into space, and, and so they can turn a five-yard screen or, you know, a, a quick swing pass into a 40- or 50-yard game. Uh, do you think that morning – first of all, do you think Goodson can be that sort of guy? And second of all, how big, how important is Marty Morningwig to uh, this team? I mean, I think the morning way hiring was one of the smartest moves of the offseason. I think when you look at him comparatively to Tony Soprano, who was a guy who more offensive line-centric, really not a friend of the quarterback position. And when you look back at the tape last year, it, it's very frustrating and mind-boggling to watch the way the Jets tried to run offense. It was way too simplistic, way too predictable. And I understand they had a lack of talent, but it was compounded by poor coaching. And, you know, Tony Sprano really seemed overmatched in that role, and it just didn't work out. Now, Morningway is a guy who was a quarterback himself, who has worked and had success with, with a ton of very good quarterbacks where you could say, you know what, he doesn't deserve all the credit. Steve Young is Steve Young. Brett Favre is Brett Favre. They were going to play well anyway. Fine. But he also was a guy who was able to, get a productive year out of Jeff Garcia where the Eagles got to the second round in the playoffs. And then mm-hmm. there's a shift in coach Michael Vick. And then he was coaching Nick Foles last year. Morningway is a creative, crafty offensive mind. And, you know, they produced in Philadelphia on offense. I mean, they weren't always the most successful team in the NFL, but they had their share of winning years. And they put up points and they moved the ball. And, you know, I think with Morningway, you're going to see a much more creative offense that utilizes the Jets' skill position players a little bit more and it's a little more creative. I think when you see a guy like Goodson or McKnight, I understand you're a halfback on the depth chart, but, hey, we really don't have any receivers. So you're going to get in the slot. You're going to line up out wide, and you're going to help us this way too. And, you know, Geno Smith, Mark Sanchez, we're not proving a quarterback. So we're going to give you a lot of high-percentage screen passes where you can get the ball to Jeremy Curley. Right, get the ball right, to right, Antonio right. Holmes. Get them in space. Give me an easy completion. Get them in space. Let them make somebody miss and gain some yards high-percentage passing offense, run-heavy offense. You know, let's play to our strengths. And the Jets are going to have an explosive offense this year. They just they don't have enough talent yet. I think that talent's really going to come next offseason when they have 12 draft picks and they have $40 million in cap space. 
this year I think they were kind of shedding the fat from the Tannenbaum era and kind of taking some small steps towards the rebuilding process with what limited cap space they had. But, you know, for this year, I think the talent's concentrated at the running back position. I think there's a lot of potential on that offensive line. I think they're going to end up keeping all four running backs, and all four have to meet talent to contribute to this offense, whether it's not necessarily as a pure runner, but maybe as a pass catcher. Yeah, I mean, we that, that's something we've talked about a ton, Joe, and it and and we saw it a little bit in minicamp right off the bat, where you saw you you know we've been begging for coaches, and this is something that Rex does on the defensive side of the ball, right? We've been begging for an offensive coach that will utilize the actual weapons that he has, and and find you know Cal says this all the time, and it's a great point. A great coach puts the players that he has in the best position to succeed. I mean that's that's something that's just it sounds really basic you know but cal it's true right so bry you and i have talked a lot about the idea that we saw four running backs like on the field at the same time in minicamp now that may have been because none of the receivers can catch the ball but (laughs) but you know marty morningwig using four running backs at one time bry you and i have talked about this a ton what's what do you think this offense can become, and of course, it's you know, it has to do with the 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 quarterback. Cal. Yeah, I mean, I think. <laughs> Go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, yeah, yeah. Cal. A little over anxious there. I mean, I think like I like we referred to that it's going to be a run heavy approach inevitably. I think the talent built for this team to run the ball a lot, and I think Rex Ryan always wants to have a team that is going to complement his defense, and it's easier to complement your defense when you're running the ball a lot. Uh, You know, the quarterback position, I I think it's completely wide open. I think people who say that with extreme confidence that Mark Sanchez are going to start are wrong. I think people that say Geno Smith is going to start with extreme confidence are wrong. I think it's very wide open, and I don't think the starter is going to be named until maybe after the third preseason game. I think it's going to come down to how these guys play in training camp when the pads are on and how they play in the preseason games. And I think, you know, Rex isn't going to hesitate to start a rookie. He started a rookie in 2009 and got to the AFC Championship game. So if these guys are neck and neck and Geno Smith looks confident, I I don't expect any hesitation to put him in the starting lineup because, you know, Rex is coaching for his job here. And, you know, he saw what Sanchez did last year. And listen, I'm as much of a Sanchez apologist as anybody, but if Sanchez can't go out and clearly outplay a second-round rookie, then he doesn't deserve to have the starting job at this point. I mean, he's going into his fifth year. He's won four playoff games. I know it seems like a 1,000 years ago, but if he wants a starting job, go out and make it very clear that you are the veteran, you are ready to start, and this rookie's not ready to start. And this is close to being the you know, a neck-and-neck type race, Geno Smith's going to be the guy. Yeah, I, I I agree with you totally that Rex won't hesitate to start Geno Smith if it looks like... I think Rex is going to go back to that 9 mentality of uh, I'm going to have a really ridiculously strong defense. I'm going to do a lot of things to you defensively that you've never seen. And they're not going to be a ground-and-pound situation, I don't think at all. I don't think Marty Morningwig is going to to do that, but uh, if if Geno Smith gives them the best chance to not turn the ball over and keep games close, I think he'll go with them. I don't know if that's going to be the 
case. But do you think, do you, uh, Joe? Do you think that Morningwood can save Mark Sanchez's career? I mean, do, do you do you think that's possible? You know, it, it really depends on you know what you define as save Mark Sanchez's career. I, you know, I don't know what the future really looks like for this guy at this point. I think. You know, when I look at last year and I look at the Tennessee tape or the Arizona tape, it almost looks like a hopeless situation. When you look at certain elements of last year, how he played against Buffalo, how he played in the first half against Pittsburgh, how he played against New England on the road, really, outside of one bad interception towards Stephen Hill, you know, there's still the flash of the talent there, but it's too hard to say. I mean, in this new offense, maybe it will fit him well, maybe it will play to his strengths, but I do really think, barring something very surprising, this will be his last year in New York. And I think, you know, another team will take a chance on him, um, you know, once he's let go. And I can see right. him maybe thriving later in the back half of his career in a different in a different city, in a different situation. I think there's talent there. I think anybody who says that, you know, there's not NFL quarterback talent there, you're kidding yourself. So we've seen him play well in big spots. We've seen him play well in playoff games. I just don't know if he's – he really might have run his course here. And that's, you know, part on him to blame. That's part on the media and the fan base and the situation that he's in. It might just be time's up. But, yeah, you know, yeah, we'll it, see it, how it he equips himself. Yeah, it might. Now, we've talked about uh, a little bit about the AFC East and a little bit about the situation with the the Patriots. And and of course, hey, look, anybody who says that the big top didn't move up north is is not paying attention. Um I I mean, between you know, Aaron Hernandez aside, uh they in the span of like 2 weeks, their start their other starting tight end had surgery without telling the team. Uh, the owner accused Vladimir Putin of stealing his Super Bowl ring, and they signed Tim Tebow. Um, <laughs> so, you know, good job, everybody. Good hustle. I mean, that's that's a lot of uh, distraction uh, that's written off as, oh, well, they're the Patriots. They'll overcome it. Um, I think going back to something you said uh, initially about the Patriots and their receiving core, I think now the only thing that makes the receiving core better is Tom Brady. So, like, I, it's funny that the guy who's not a receiver is what makes their receiver core, uh, their receivers better than anybody else in the AFC East, is that they still have Tom Brady. Uh, and as you said, he got to a Super Bowl with, uh, you know, with the likes of Richie Caldwell and, and Troy Brown playing both ways. And, um, Troy Brown goes both ways? What? Right here on hey, RT. Hey, we did it. But I, I so but th- there are problems for that team to overcome. Um the the Dolphins have spent uh, like drunken sailors. I I'm not a huge Mike Wallace fan. We've talked about it on this show. I'm not a big believer in him being a number one wide receiver. I still am not quite ready to put Tannehill in the Hall of Fame. I think I'm going to wait a couple weeks. Um, I'd like to see maybe you know two consistent. Somebody said on your site, Joe, that oh you know he had all those 300 yards. He didn't throw for 300 yards last year at all. Um, in not one bad. game. So I'm not quite ready to anoint him as uh, the second coming of Tom Brady. Um, and, and, of course, the Bills are the Bills. Uh, we'll, we'll take them seriously at some other date. Um, all that being said, do you think the Jets have done enough to be that 
and and I know it's it's difficult to say this on June 27th, but with training camps four weeks away from today, do you think the Jets have done enough and John Itzik has done enough to at least make this team competitive again? I mean, it, like you said, it, it is very tough to say, but when you look at the division, uh, you know, there's four winnable games right there between Miami and Buffalo, who, despite the hype for Miami, remains a very beatable team. Buffalo is in a similar spot to the Jets where, you know, it would be fair to say that they're rebuilding right now. And when you look at the rest of the Jets' schedule, you know, there's a rough patch in the middle of the season. Obviously, you never know how these teams are going to shake out. But yeah, that's yeah. the, the schedule think, thing is, is, is impossible because you yeah, just you can't possibly know who's going to be good and who's – I mean, you, you can – some things are given. You know, the 49ers this year are going to be good. You know, but you never, you just never know. You can't, I hate the schedule prediction. I hate it. Exactly. And, you know, when you see their team, it, it, you like to think that with Rex in place and with some of the pieces they have up front, they're going to have a, a competitive defense. And, you know, when you have a competitive defense, you're going to be competitive in most weeks, especially if you can run the football, which the Jets should be able to do, so. I think they'll be more competitive than most teams than most people are going to predict them out to be. Uh, you know, would I say they're a playoff team? Probably not. No. Uh, would I say they're a four and twelve? You know, I team? No. You know, I think they had such a limited amount of talent last year, and they were still six and seven playing meaningful football in December. That you know, you just got to give Rex the benefit of the doubt and think that. You know, they can be a little more competitive than most people are going to assume they're going to be. And I, I think if they play the defense, they could be, again, be a kind of team who's 6-6, six 6-7, and six, six and seven, playing meaningful games in December when many people didn't think they would be. Do you do you think I've had this argument with uh, – not argument, never an argument, but this discussion with other Jets fans and uh, or not Jets fans. Do you think that at any point – the Ryan contract situation becomes a distraction or is a distraction for this team. I don't think it is because I don't think they have any expectations. I think it can only become a distraction if they were expected to go to the Super Bowl this year and they're playing miserably and he's failing uh, in a contract year. I, I don't think they have any expectations, so I don't think it can – what do you think, distraction-wise? Uh, I don't think it's going to be a huge issue throughout the year unless, you know, they – for some reason, really tank out of the gate where they get to the point where they're, you know, one and five, one and six, one and seven, and then it becomes, you know, are you going to fire Rex next season? You know, what is the long-term plan at head coach? I don't really see that happening. I, I really think the Jets are going to be the kind of team who's probably hovering right at or a little below 500 for most of the year, and I think it's going to be an open-ended situation with Rex's status. Um, really probably all the way through the season ending. You know, I don't, I don't know if the, they just go 7-9, and nine, but they're competitive. Is that going to be enough to keep Rex around? I think it should be, but, you know, Itzik might not. So I think it's going to be kind of a kind of an open situation for a while. It's really going to depend how they compete on a week-to-week basis. Joe, just shifting gears a little bit, We um, your blog has really, for lack of a better word, taken off. Um, no pun intended. <laughs> yes, it's horrible. But um, since you've been doing the blog, do you find that the way that you watch the team or the level of which you try to enjoy the team has changed based on, I guess, some of the naysayers that are out there that try not to allow you 
to enjoy, not you personally, but, but Jet fans in general, try not to allow you to enjoy the team? And is it harder to, to, to keep a positive outlook on the team? Um, I would say over the last two or three years, I've probably become a little more cynical towards the team. I think if you read some of our stuff, you know, like three, four years ago, you would see probably a little more optimism and a little more of the fan, a little more of a fans view coming out. Um, really, over the last few years, as I've been spending a little more time focusing on trying to really watch the film and you know, writing a lot more about what's been happening. I think I've probably been more critical than I've been in the past. Now, you know, I still love the team. I still watch the team like any, you know, maniac fan would. But I I just, you know, I'm not as hesitant to be harshly critical in areas where I think I need to be, you know, at this point. I think our writing staff has kind of mirrored that. I think we have guys on our staff who are a little more optimistic um, to kind of balance out some of the negativity, but you know, I, I think we try to keep a fair balance. I, I, you know, we are all fans of the team, but we also try to, you know, stay in touch with reality. We're not going to all predict the Jets are going 13 and three this year and going to win the Super Bowl. Mark Sanchez is going to be a Super Bowl MVP. I mean, we're going to, you know, call it as we see it and, you know, try to enjoy the team while still trying to, you know, be fair and give critical opinions on them. But Joe, wouldn't you say there's a difference between being critical of like the X's and O's that you guys are of the you know on the field and and how the team performs, and being critical of of like the tone of the team and the off the field stuff? Because the way that you guys do it, you're critical of, of what's going on on the field, but but you never get the sense like if, when when I I'll speak for my opinion when I read your stuff, I never get the sense that you'd rather be right about something that the Jets are doing wrong, you know, that, that, that makes you happy rather than them, them succeeding. You're critical of what's going on on the field, but, but it doesn't change the way you feel about them as a team. It, it, yeah, I, I think that's very well said. I think we really try to just focus on what's in the field in terms of, you know, us saying, oh, we told you so, or getting wrapped up in, you know, some of the off-the-field drama or, you know, frustration with how the Jets are, you know, disseminating information or their lack of disseminating information, we're kind of removed from that. You know, we, we don't have credentials. We don't rely on, you know, being at Florham Park or, you know, claiming that we're going to be breaking stories about, you know, transactions like some of the beat writers or some of the other mainstream media are. That's not really our focus, and... You know, maybe because of that, you know, we don't come off with the same kind of negative or harsh tone that sometimes some of the beat writers could, where it seems like it's almost a little spiteful at certain times. And right. you know, we really try to avoid. We really try to avoid that, and we're able to avoid that because, you know, we don't. Again, we're not credentialed writers. We don't have, you know, a relationship, you know, per se with the team. We're just kind of we're watching it from the outside. Well, that's it's it. It brings up a, a something that we've talked a lot about lately, Joe, uh, on the show, and it's it's sort of been a theme of season four uh, of of RTU, and that is, uh, and, and there's especially a lot of this going on with the Mets, but uh, and Cal hit on it perfectly, and that's this idea of uh, rather be right than happy. Um, I think there's a, uh, a huge segment of of the fan base that. Um, 
would rather be right about what they said about a player or a coach or a situation uh, than see the player be successful and have them be wrong. And I think, you know, you look no further than Mark Sanchez and what's about to happen to him uh, this season. And I think there are... I think there are fans, and and again, I'm not asking Jet fans to like Mark Sanchez or to blindly root for a guy who's turned the ball over 52 times in two years uh, or whatever it is. Um, You know, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is uh, to root against him at the detriment of your team doesn't make any sense to me. Like if Mark Sanchez is named the starter... I want to see him do well in week one because I want to win. And and I'd rather win and be wrong about him than be right and lose. You know, and I, and I, Mike, there's a question in here, I promise. But <laughs> basically, why did you start writing about the Jets? Why did you start turn on the Jets? What was the impetus to start blogging about the Jets? You know, I, I think when it first started a few years back, you know, it was just something where, you know, I, I enjoyed writing and I enjoyed Jets and I myself had finished up playing football and I wanted some way to stay connected to the sport. But I think really over the last two years as we became an independent site and we've grown a little bit and we've really tried to brand ourselves and find an identity, it's it's been just a frustration of of reading the way this team is covered, and it's exhausting to read the anonymous <laughs> sourcing and to read the constant negative spin and the preachy, you know, 1,400-word articles about Rex Ryan's tattoos and, you know, Tim Bebo nonsense. Honestly, it just got... It just got frustrating to read about that, and we didn't want to approach the team from that kind of angle. We really wanted to just focus and say, hey, this is a football team. We want to analyze them playing football. We want to give them a fair shake. We're not going to get caught up in this big hyperbole of what the mainstream media what's, wants the Jets to be as this big kind of circus sideshow. You know, this, this is a football team that since 1998 has been really one of the better teams in the league, one of the most successful teams in the league. I think – I not sure if these numbers are exactly right, but I'm pretty sure since 1997, they only had four seasons of being under 500. And that, yep. That's pretty damn impressive. I mean, it's a long period of time. And, you know, this isn't a team that has been Cleveland or Jacksonville or Oakland even the last, like, seven or eight years. It's been constantly awful and constantly terrible. I mean, this is a team that's been to the playoffs seven times in the last, you know, 13, 14 years. And this is a team that's won six, seven playoff games and been to a pair of AFC championship games. And, you know, we understand there's been, you know, some some you know stories that are inevitably going to grab headlines, but I think always assuming the worst about this team and always looking to take that cheap shot, I think the act's just getting tired at this point. Do you, do you think, though, that it's a function of New York being a two-team town? Because we see it with the Mets and the Yankees and I'm wondering if it's similar for the Jets and the Giants, where the roles are kind of set. The role is the Giants are the class organization. They do everything right. They're the success. And the Jets 
are always the misfit little brother that's going to do something crazy and they're going to be the story for something other than what's on the field. And it's almost like the media has to kind of shoehorn everything into those roles. So they're going to look for every little thing that the Jets do that might be out of step and blow it up out of proportion. What do you think about that? I think there's definitely something to that. I think you know every team in New York kind of has the stereotypical backstory towards you know who they are and who their you know what their fan base is, and you know the Jets and the Mets kind of get put in this you know second level JV kind of circus atmosphere, and you know it's not always fair. Like you know, like I said, the Jets have been generally successful the last you know 16 to 17 years, and at the same time, I mean, the Giants have won a few championships very recently, you know, twice in the last, you know, six years or whatever it's been. So, the Jets, you know, really get over that hump and win a championship, and it's probably just the way it's going to be. I mean, it's just part of being a Jets fan and part of following this team and part of writing about this team that they're going to get treated as a second-class team because the team they're being compared to in their sport has a more illustrious history, has won more championships, has won more recent championships. So, you know, the Jets had their that two-year stretch at the beginning of Rex Ryan's tenure where, hey, you know, we're the relevant team now. You know, we're in the playoffs, Giants are home, but, you know, they weren't able to finish it. They weren't able to get to the Super Bowl one of those two years. And even just getting to the Super Bowl and having that extra two weeks of hype and excitement, it, you know, would have added a, a little bit, more maybe a legitimate seat of the team or maybe people will be more hesitant to take cheap shots at, you know, a Rex at this point, but, you know, they were never able to quite, quite get over that hump, and because of that and because the Giants were able to beat New England in two very memorable Super Bowls that the Jets are still always going to be second-guessed for what happens, and the Giants are going to get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt, and I, uh, I, I, a follow-up to that. Let me let me piggyback on that a little bit on something you said before. Um, you know, you guys are starting uh, the podcast. You, you're doing episode number three. It's on uh, Pro Football Central. I think it's ProFootballCentral.com. Is that right, Joe? Yes. Yeah. And uh, and of course you can uh, of course get it on TurnOnTheJets.com uh, and it's available in iTunes as well, um, which is super cool. And you guys are doing a great job. I wanted to ask you though something, something though. That's actually how that should go. Um, about you're starting to get a little access, and you're starting to you know you had uh, some player you had Gray on and you had uh, uh, some players on and you had Brian Costello on, um, you know you're starting to to enter that world a little bit with the podcast. Do you see is that going to be a balancing act, Joe? Um, to you know maybe once you start establishing relationships either with players and or with certain members of the uh, quote-unquote legitimate media, is that going to be a little bit of a balancing act for you to uh, to check that out? I mean, I, I mean, I think it could be. I It, it will be interesting. I think we're going to try to, you know, take it slow and not be hypocritical and not move away from what we really tried to build the site around. I think, right. you know, when you look at, you know, some of our early guests, you know, Darren Walls, a guy, you know, we wrote about a lot, a guy we were excited about this offseason, he's kind of an under-the-radar player. Same with Antonio Gray, a guy that we, you know, one of our writers, Chris, took the time to break the film down and, you know, see how we fit yep. the defense. You know, I don't think, 
you know, you would see a situation, or I, I would not allow a situation where, hey, you know, we just spent six months being really, really critical of Sean Marine as a starting running back, but, you know, let's bring him on as a guest, and let's call right. him up as, you know, a superstar running back, or, right. you know, let's, you know, let's go at, you know, the Peter writers from the Daily News and the way they cover the team, but then bring him on as a guest and act like we're all buddy-buddy with them. You know, we've had a good relationship with Brian Costello, yeah. You know, comparatively speaking to the rest of the beat writers, and he, you know, is a guy that, you know, we compared to the rest of the beat writers, we do like his work, and, you know, we've gone along with him well. But, you know, I understand what you're saying. I and, mean, you know, it's not like, you know, we don't want to be, hey, you know, we're criticizing the way this outlet's covering the team, but, you know, come on our show and let's all I, you know, buddy, buddy. We don't want to move to that situation or where we're being, you know, overly friendly with a certain, you know, player or a certain group of players, and we're, pulling for them and lying about what we're seeing on the field. So it will be a balancing act, and, you know, we'll see how it goes moving forward. Yeah, and I think you you did something in week one in the first episode that I thought was great, and you, you just mentioned it. It was a unique situation where here's two guys that you wrote about, you covered from an X's and O's standpoint, what they might mean to the team, and then you had them on the show, and then you got to talk to them. And Garay was awesome. You got to have him back. He was hilarious. Um, and he was just very cool, and you could tell how comfortable he was, you know, with a mic. And he's a unique individual anyway. If you look at his facial hair, like he just, he just, I'm excited to watch that guy on the sideline because he looks like he has fun playing football. And there's a great, there's been a great dearth of that around the Jets for the last two years. Nobody's having fun, and they should have fun. It's football. Have a good time, you know. So I love, I, but I, I loved what you did there. There's a, there's a way in there. That is that is unique, and it and it fits what you're doing on the site, and that's why I was, you know, it, look if you have Manesh Mehta on that podcast in two weeks, I don't expect you to be best friends with him. You know what I mean? I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I would certainly listen to that episode, but I, but I, you know what I mean? But I, and I and I, I certainly, you know, Cal and I, I don't think would ever question you having him on. He's the Jets beat writer for the New York Daily News. But I think it's going to be interesting for you, for guys like that, where um, you'll have to – it's going to be interesting to watch. If you get a guy like that, where you come at it from and where you're able to come at it from, as opposed to what you did with uh, with uh, Garay and what you did with Walls, that was great because you had broken down these guys' X's and O's. And then you had them on and you talked about X's and O's and you talked about what they could mean in Rex Ryan's defense and you talked about – you know, does Rex play a four-three or a three-four? And uh, you know, the base defense doesn't really matter. And what they were learning in minicamp, and that's that's I, I think that's a, a great extension of your website. But man, if you have Manesh on, oh man, Ray, sweeps week. Just save it for sweeps week. <laughs> <laughs> we're saving we're trying to change those ratings. That's right. Yeah, save save it for right before the uh, the Nielsen's come. Or what is it, Arbitron, Cal? Arbitron, Arbitron yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll be like uh, Mike and the Mad Dog. We'll be reading the Arbitron ratings on uh, on the air. Oh my God, two point seven <laughs> national, three point four New York. What do you now? What do you what do you think that Cal Cal? What do you think? What do you think that did? What do you think the first podcast did? What do you think? That's the one with Meta. That's the one with Meta. That's right. That's fine. What do you think? What do you think? What? Three seven, three seven, dog. Three seven. It's a good number. I used to love when he said that. It's a good number. So it's completely it's first of all it's completely it was completely inside baseball, which is great. 
like like you know Joe the cab driver does not care <laughs> what what number uh, the NBA finals did last night you know uh, in in Sacramento like he he just he totally does not care and then you would say the number and they'd be like oh that's a good number that's a good spot i didn't see that coming oh i did not see that <laughs> Uh, Joe, real quick, thank you so much for uh, for giving us the time. I want uh, I want to take it back to football to wrap up, um, and and just ask you from a fan standpoint. And I know you guys have sort of done this on the on the on the blog, so I'm sort of leading you there. But who are you most excited uh, to see? Give me three players, either side of the ball. You're most excited to see in uh, in training camp. With the pads on, first first preseason game, how much you bench? Who you like? <laughs> I mean, offense. I you know, I guess take consistent. I'm going to say Chris Ivory. I think he's going to be the guy that set fans really fall fall in love with because he's going to run physical. He's going to run violently. He's going to be breaking tackles, breaking a lot of big plays, and he's going to be fun to watch. It's been a while since they just have had an explosive player like that in their backfield. Um, on defense. I've said this a couple of times, and I think years from now, this is going to be remembered as the Sheldon Richardson draft. I think this guy, wow. the more film we watch on him, the more, you know, look at this guy's unique athleticism. If Rex, particularly if Rex is around, this guy's going to be a stud in this defense. And less so in the Muhammad Wilkerson way where he's doing a lot of the dirty work and stopping the run and, you know, maybe doing stuff that's a little more under the radar. Richardson is going to be a playmaker, and he's going to be a guy that, really turn some heads up front in this defense, and I think he could be very, very special in the NFL. And I think, you know, it wasn't a popular pick at the time, and, you know, I wasn't, you know, thrilled with it at the time, but when you really sit down and you look at the film of this guy and you look at, you know, what he's capable of, it's worth getting excited over. Um, and then the secondary, I'm excited to see Cromartie kind of, you know, take on that Darrell Revis role for a whole season. You know, he did it last nice. year, and, you know, by yeah. all accounts, Camardi's really embraced the leadership role in the defense, and he's going to, you know, get to go out there and cover Mike Wallace one-on-one, you know, twice. He's going to get to cover Julio Jones on a Monday night game. He's going to get to cover Vincent Jackson week one. So he's going to get tested, and it's going to be fun to see if he arrives with challenge. I love it. Cal, give me your three. Uh, well, I just my, – my last thing, I just wanted to know from oh, Joe. Yeah. It's okay. If, if – uh, if we're looking at, like, 2013 is kind of like a transition year to them, 2014 is going to be the retooling or the rebuild of this team. Are they doing it with Rex Ryan or not? Or does it depend on what they do this year? You know, I, re- I really think it's going to depend on this year. I, I'm, I'm a Rex fan. I don't, I don't think he's one of their major problems right now. But, you know, honestly, you don't know. I mean, Idzik's a guy who plays it close to the vest. You know, for all we know, he could really be itching to get his own guy in there. And, if, you know, 6-10 and 10 or 7-9 and nine might not be good enough for him. And he might just say, you know what, I want my own coach, and that's it. Now, personally, I think Rex is capable of making this team a 7-9, 8-8 eight eight competitive team. And I'd like to see him brought back and continue to build on, you know, his defense that the Jets are slowly putting into place with Wilkerson and Coppoles and Richardson up front. You know, Milder and, you know, Demario Davis and... Josh Bush, Antonio Allen, these guys in the back end. And, and then, then, you know, you, you hire a new head coach. Are you hiring a new offensive coordinator? Now does Geno Smith have to learn his second offense in two years? Oof. So if the Jets are competitive this year, I like. I really would like to see Rex brought back for another year. 
Yeah, I mean, you. I think uh, this is something, guys, we all talked about, that if if they had got a modicum of competent quarterback play last year, um, they would have been 9-7 and seven and probably made the playoffs. I mean, that's that's with a modicum of competent quarterback play. Um, so if you can do that this year, if you can get that this year, I know it seems like the defense is worse because they lost to Raul Rivas, but I'm going to make the argument that I think the defense is going to be better this year um, uh, because, look, they played you know 13 games without Darrell Rivas last year, and the defense was just fine. And they added Sheldon Richardson, and they added – uh, some you know some depth there. Copel's another year in the system. Mo Wilkerson another year uh, coming into his third year. They added Milner. You know they added another quality corner, probably the best corner in the draft. Um, so I, I you can make the argument that that defense might even be better uh, than it was last year, and it was completely competent and competitive last year for the most part. So again, if you get a if you get it, just a, I love the word modicum. If you get a of competent quarterback play, whether it's from Mark Sanchez or Geno Smith or Matt Sims, uh, you, you, I, I think they're an eight and eight team. I think they're a competitive eight and eight team. Um, Cal, give me your three. Give me your three guys uh, that you're looking forward to uh, in training camp. Three guys I'm looking forward to in training camp. Definitely Geno Smith. Okay. I want, I, I want to see what he's all about. I'd like to see how how he transitions to the NFL game. Um, definitely Chris Ivory. I'm, I'm with Joe on this one. I, I, I would love to see everybody talks about career backup Chris Ivory, and that's such a misnomer because he, the system that he was in, he didn't have the opportunity to play. You know, he wasn't a, he was a career backup because he had tremendous guys ahead of him. You know, give him the shot to, to start, and I think I think he's going to be great. And uh, and I want to see what Milner can do in the in the backfield. You know, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Milner because he's essentially replacing. He's re- he's replacing Revis's spot on the team, but Cromartie is replacing Revis's spot in the lineup. Right. But it's not going to stop the comparisons between Milner and Revis. That sure. they brought they traded Revis, brought Milner in, or they brought Milner in, traded Revis, and he's a first round pick. Revis was a first round pick. It's gonna be a lot of pressure on the kid. I want to see how he handles it. Yeah, I I, I think that those are three for th- three for me, really quick guys. I want to see Stephen Hill. Can I see Stephen Hill? Can I see if Stephen Hill is an actual? I love wide receivers. I always have. Wesley Walker, one of my favorite all-time players. Uh, if not my favorite all-time Jet, uh, I got to meet him and, and hang out with him at a draft party once, and he was just the coolest, nicest guy. Um, my son is named Wesley. Let's keep that quiet. My wife doesn't know anything about Wesley Walker. Um, so I was able to put that past the judges. Yeah, Wesley's an awesome name. Um, so... I want to see Stephen Hill. I want. I have been craving a big time receiver for this team for the longest time. There's no. I've made no secret about my love of Braylon Edwards. Uh, I want to see Stephen Hill. I want to see how he's developed. I think he has a lot of tools. I hate this word, but he has a lot of tools. Um, and I want to see how Sanjay Lal and how the coaching staff has developed him. And you know, Morningwig sounds like. A guy that's in his ear and is going to be, you know, have greater expectations of him perhaps than Tony Sperano did. So Stephen Hill is definitely one. I want to see Goodson. I want to see the speed. I want to see what this guy looks like in space. I want to see it. I want to see a friggin' well-executed screen. That's what I want to see. I want to see 
And, of course, Mark Sanchez might be my quarterback, so I probably won't see that. But uh, I want to see I want to see a screen. I want to see a running back take a screen, you know, 40 yards uh, to the house. I, I just I, I want to – Goodson's speed excites me a ton. That's why I was extraordinarily disappointed when he got arrested. Um, and then the last guy, guys, I got to say it, you know, because I've been an apologist. I'm not going to change now. I won't change for anyone. I want to see Mark Sanchez. I want to see Mark Sanchez in this offense. I want to see what he's done. I want to see if he is rebuilt. I want to see what David Lee's tutelage has done for him, what the gauntlet Sanchez drill has done for him. I want to see if he can keep two friggin' hands on the ball. I want to see that. Because I agree with Rex. If you can teach that kid to keep two hands on the friggin' football... I think he can be an effective quarterback in the NFL. I really do. Uh, but mostly I want to see if he's been rebuilt. They've talked about rebuilding him, his confidence, his swagger. You know, uh, I think it was TJ Rosen. Uh, was it TJ on on your show, Joe? Yeah, yeah. It, who talked about Sanchez uh, after the Rose Bowl and how excited he was about the Jets drafting Sanchez. Because that guy in the Rose Bowl was running around, having a great time, was a gunslinger, was a leader, was having a blast, and that guy is gone. They have beat that guy out of him, and I want to see if there's a glimmer of that back. So that's that's my third guy. It's Mark. And plus, you know, I bought Wes a Sanchez jersey, and, you know, the football jerseys for the toddlers are expensive, guys. They're expensive. <laughs> I mean, they're really... Well, that's it. You, you, you know, what am I going to do? Go buy him like a – I was going to get him a Revis. And I'm like, you know, the kid's going to grow out. I thought I had my quarterback for years to come. You better hope for a growth spurt so it doesn't fit him anymore. I, well, he doesn't fit in that one. He doesn't fit no. in the Sanchez tee. But that's the other thing, Cal. You know you know what it's like. you got the two kids. You buy something. You know, I'm going to drop 50 bucks on a uh, – uh, what, a, a David Harris jersey? What am I doing? A Copel? What am I going to put him in a Copel? He's two and a half. Could have put him in a Revis. Yeah, well, we all know what happened. That would have happened. Right, we all know what happened. Joe, as you may or may not know, I know you're a big jersey collector. You know, I know you have a number that of Jets jerseys. That I am. Right, Cal has a Revis from his rookie year, I believe. Right, Cal? Yeah, I got, I got what, five years out of that one? You got a good solid five years out of that. Oh, I am a solid run. I had the half-decade run. That's I am bad, literally, yeah. I am the kiss of death for... Uh, players for jerseys. And uh, I was just talking to my brother the other day about getting a new jersey for this season. Because I, I even jinxed Revis with the jersey. I bought a jersey and he tore his ACL and then they traded him. Like, I was like, I, I imagine, if, <laughs> imagine if I had bought a jersey. He might, <laughs> who knows? Thank goodness he's still alive. So I was joking with my, my brother the other day and I was saying, what I don't know what jersey to get for this upcoming year. And my brother was like, how about <laughs> he goes? He goes. Well, George Sauer just passed away. How about a George Sauer? Like you can't do anything to this guy. Safe. Right. Like, he, like he, there are literally like Wayne Krebet is literally calling me and like, please, man. I know I'm retired and everything, but things could still go wrong for me. Please do not get my jersey. Stay away. Oh, oh, what? Joe, what's the best one or the, or the worst one that you have? Most obscure name on the back of a jersey that you might have? Oh, me? Oh, yeah. God. I, I have a Curtis Conway jersey. 
get out of here. Curtis Conway. I, you know, I was, I was, I think I was a sophomore in high school. I want to say, and I was bitter over Coles being traded. And I, you know, I was out of the store. To my, my high school friends at the time, like, oh, let's just get a Conway jersey. He's going to step right in for Coles. He'll be fine. Like, yeah, you know, I'm a receiver. Conway's the lead receiver this year. It was 2003. Did you have to order that? No, they had it in the store. And what's really sad is that I literally, I didn't even realize this, that I have a Green Jets 81. These jerseys are identical, my Conway and Keller jersey. The only thing that's different is the name on them. And it's like I I spent like $100 on identical jerseys for two, you know, players who are gone now. Conway (laughs) seemed for one year. And Keller, who never really lived up to his potential, is just like, geez. That sounds like that's uh, the Conway sounds like it was like a peer pressure thing. Like you were with you were in high school, you were with a bunch of guys. They were all telling you it was a good purchase. Like it sounds like yeah, you got bullied you know, into that. Curtis Conway jersey. You know, you had like, a big year like in San Diego or something. And, uh, you know, right. You'll be ahead of the curve. That's right, uh, Cal. You, not, good. You, not a smart purchase. Do you have any uh, uh, Jet jerseys that uh, you don't want to talk about? No, no. Uh, well, no. Revis was the first one. Revis was the first real jersey you ever bought. Yeah. See, I always had I always had my number seven San Pietro jersey that I got when I was in seventh grade, when it was right. still you know acceptable to have your own name on the back of a jersey. And uh, and I so I had that for years, for years, like through college. I refused to buy another jersey because of the jinx. And then the first one I bought was Pennington. Two weeks before he broke his wrist against the Giants. <laughs> I mean, literally, there are players calling me. Please, Steve, do not take my jersey. Please. I'm begging. Don Maynard has called me and said, look, you know, I'm still with us. I, I want to live. <laughs> Don Maynard's like, I want to live, damn it. Please. I guess, the, I guess the closest thing I have, and it's not embarrassing. It's just embarrassing that it wasn't really a jersey. It was a shirt that looked like a jersey, but not like the ones today. I'm talking about right. from 1982. Right. The long sleeves and the white stripes around your elbows. And it just says Jets on the front, and it was Richard Todd on the back. Nice. 14. There's nothing embarrassing about that. That's fine. The, the style of the shirt was embarrassing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe well, wasn't you, right. At that, uh, Joe, you're uh, a little you know, younger than us. No, oh, God, I'm kidding myself. You're a lot younger than us, but back in the day, there were there were there were knockoffs that you would guess that you know you would get like a knockoff Jets T-shirt that it was like yeah. wow the NFL definitely did not sanction this T-shirt. And all my friends got to go to the budget rat like, sometimes. That's right. We're wearing the Sears winners. Sears used to have sneakers called winners, and they looked they looked just like like Reeboks or Nikes or whatever. And uh, you know, if you were if you were running the organization on austerity, if you if you were really up against the cap, you showed up with uh, some Sears winners and some tough skins. But you know what? If you were cool, you were cool. Didn't make a difference. Didn't make a difference. You know what I mean? It didn't make a difference. All right, Joe, we've kept you way too long. Thank you, brother. Um, Absolutely happy to come on, guys. And uh, you know, continued success with the uh, w- with the podcast, with the website. Uh, of course, it's www.turnonthejets.com, and uh, the podcast is available in iTunes and also on Pro Football. What is it? Pro Football? Why can't I never remember? This? Pro Football have- Central. Central. That's it. Thank you. ProFootballCentral.com, and they have a. Uh, they're doing a cool thing over there at Pro Football Central. They have uh, podcasts 
directed uh, four teams or four, you know, specifically for like the Bengals. They have a, a Bills one, I think. They have you guys now with the Jets. Uh, so it's it's pretty cool over there. Joe, continued success with everything. Uh, we'll talk to you in the fall, man. Absolutely. Definitely do this again before the season starts. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yep. Thanks, Thanks Joe. Joe. All right, so uh, Joe Cap, he's so good. He just really is. Just he's 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 doing a heck of a job. Um, good. And he, you know, you like you like listening to him. You like reading his stuff. He just he's he's the Jet fan that you want to follow right now. Yeah, they're, they're, and and you know, we got into it a little bit, and I was happy we did, Cal, because they're doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. They're maintaining they're maintaining their passion and love for the team. They're they're not, they still don't have an agenda. Okay, it's not agenda driven content. Outside of, um, obviously they want page hits and they want the the blog to be popular and they want followers and uh, obviously, you know, there's a marketing aspect to it. Mm-hmm. But they're not doing it at at the cost of their passion for the team, right? And their enjoyment of the team. I mean, Joe loves talking about the Jets. Like, still. You can tell there's nothing he loves more. And it doesn't matter how good or how bad they are. That's right. He's going he's gonna to love talking about the Jets, and that's yep. how it should be. He's going to break down film. He loves to you know break down film. He loves to look at guys' uh, performances on the field. It's very X's and O's. There's, he, they address on that site some of the things that are going on off the field when it's pertinent. You know, right. it's just it's just a good job, and and the podcast, uh, as we found out, is a pretty good listen. It's going to grow, and it's going to be really good. It's going to be really good. He's going to get they're they're going to get really good at it, and they're, uh, you're getting good at it quickly. Yeah, they really are, and it, and they're providing a you know unique content podcast wise for the Jets. You know, uh, Brian Bassett uh, from the Jets blog does a nice podcast. There's a very good Jets podcast too, um, but I think. I, and I and I think with Joe's and turn on the Jets, they have a nice, interesting way in, right? Like like he said, like we wrote about Antonio Garay, wrote a huge piece on him, and then we had him on the show, and then we talked about that piece and how he's going to be used in the defense. You know, that's that's content. Yeah, that's content you're not going to get everywhere. Okay, wow. I mean, wow. Are we ready for a fun load? No, that's so, it. I, we got seven minutes left. I'm not well. We have seven live minutes left. TJ has a has a very good game for us to play tonight. He does. Yes. Oh, great! Before we do that, I don't have a fun load. I have a series of random thoughts that I want to run through. Uh, Again, this is our season-ending finale. You know, season finale. Let's. Yeah. Can we do that? If we can do that in five minutes, and then get to PJ's game. Absolutely. And then uh, off to the summer. Random thoughts, random thoughts, random thoughts, random thoughts, random thoughts, random thoughts. Come on, everybody. Random thoughts, random thoughts, random thoughts. Here's a nugget. Can you can you please though if you're gonna play that music and do the random thoughts song, you have to do it with an Italian dialect. Like you have to say, random thoughts, they're random, they're so nice to the thoughts, they're random thoughts, they're crazy, and they're random. You take it to cash. <laughs> I I think we know the first thing we're doing in the studio over the summer. 
There oh, it is. Definitely. There it is. I envision yeah. a little animated pizza guy kind of dancing across the screen <laughs> as we're singing that song. And his pizza box says random thoughts. Of course right. it does. Random thoughts are random thoughts. They're random, but they're nice. These thoughts are so random, but they're nice. And that's not offensive to the Italian people no. because. No. It's not. My grandmother was Sicilian, and she was random. Right. Have have some thoughts of random nice. Okay. Here's the first one. We have way too much build-up for this. This is not going to go well. This is going to be great. Yeah, there's way too much build-up. And before we leave, we have about four minutes left. We want to thank Blue Haven, of course, for sponsoring uh, the show all year, for having the live remotes. Um, we will be back there in the fall. They've been great to us. Go to www.bluehavennyc.com. Go there this summer. The place is fantastic. And we watched, you know, the rest of Game 7 there. We watched a little bit of it at the NBA Finals. It is a man, a fantastic place to watch a game. It's all hacked. Such a great environment to watch a game. It was, it was great terrific. crowd. You know, grown-ups, like really people interested in watching the game, hanging out, having a good time. Uh, they were there to watch the game. It was great. It was great. A nice, just a great crowd. So thank you to Blue Haven, of course. Um, and please, uh, you know, check out the podcast. It will be there. I'm sure we'll find a way to do a show at some point this summer. Uh, here or there, we'll probably be jonesing for it. But um, thank you all for listening to us over the uh, the last you know, three and a half years. But also, in particular, this uh, season, things picked up a lot for us. You know, we, we wound up having a lot of followers and a lot of subscribers and a lot of people listening to the podcast. So thank you all uh, tremendously for uh, for listening and for checking it out. Because we would do this for nobody, but the fact that actually people are starting to listen a little bit uh, and have listened a little bit is super cool. Okay. The best part about it is we did do it for nobody for about 25 years. That's correct. <laughs> that's, that's right. We just- is what we've done. And then for two years, you did it only for me. Just for you. <laughs> right. And then you finally be my out of the basement. Right. And then for about the first, yeah, first 75 episodes, it was just PJ and, like, my brother, Guys, can I go, my dad. Can I go, please? <laughs> we keep PJ on the line. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so really, honestly, thank you. Okay. He's a, he's a random thought knife. So the other day I saw the uh, Avengers poster on the subway or on the train for Stars. So Avengers, the Avengers is going to be on Stars or whatever. How come in superhero movie posters everybody is looking away? Why is nobody looking at the camera? And where are they looking? What's the deal? I, no, no, I'm not trying to be Seinfeld. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not doing a bit. I'm asking very seriously. Because their favorite album is the Joshua Tree? <laughs> Thank you. There is my answer. There it was. Perfect. All superheroes are pretentious. I'm, I'm, I'm asking very seriously. And how come in almost all superhero posters, if the superhero is a girl, you get to see her butt? She's well, always I... twisted so that her I'm butt this. is facing you. I think that's fairly obvious. David, sex sells. <laughs> everything, death sells in the cinema. Everything. Um, I'm asking they seriously. Do better from, is what I'm saying. I don't know the answer, Steve. 
from from a marketing aspect. I don't know. They're the looking answer. for danger. I guess. Or the, or they're looking for the danger, so that you don't have to. They're protecting you. They've I'll got their eyes that. all over the place. I'll accept that. PJ, I want your theory. Maybe it's one of those trick posters where their eyes follow you. That would be and it, awesome. It was broken. <laughs> Excellent. I was using that movie poster as an example, but I really am curious from a marketing standpoint why yeah. why they do that on posters or why they do that in general. Like why 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 the look away? Is there marketing research that says, and we got about 10 seconds of the live show left, so if you're listening to the live show, thank you so much for listening to the live show. Go to www.rt.com, and you can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and listen to our back catalog. There's a rich one. Uh, for Cal and PJ, thank you for listening to the live show and Overtime. Welcome to Overtime. Yeah. I've got about eight weeks of downtime, I can find out the answer to your question. <laughs> I'm gonna put I, want a, I want the answer to this. List. <laughs> I want the answer. Well, put this on the uh, the hiatus to-do list. Yeah. You saw the new ad for uh, the newsroom, for the next season of the newsroom. I did. Wow. And it's them in the desert and everybody. It's a 15-person cast, and they're all looking in different directions. All and then underneath it, it says, do you, remember, do you know what it says underneath it? No, I didn't see that. I didn't catch the tag. It says, they stand together alone. <laughs> alone. Come I would have thought, looking for news in all the wrong places. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why you don't work for HBO. I don't even have the HBO, so I don't right. know. You don't even have HBO. That's what right. What that means. <laughs> what? Spell it. Reason no, reason number no the home builders is, oh, oh, the home builders organization doesn't want us. Um, that's reason number three hundred and fourteen. Cal not in marketing at HBO. Exactly because that that would have been your tagline <laughs> for every show. For every show, Veep. Right. <laughs> Looking They're for news. In so all you the don't wrong. have to. <laughs> in in all the wrong places. <laughs> Okay, so that was one observation. This is a uh this might be too big to open up right now. This is a sports <laughs> one. This is bigger than us. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is a sports one. It's like starting a lesson on the last day of school. <laughs> right. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna cover the civil war before the bell rings for school, for summer vacation. <laughs> The Gettysburg Address and its import. Oh, what's that? What's that? Three, three o'clock on June on June twenty fifth. Here, wait. Here's a random thought for you. Let me just jump in. On the last day of of school for either one of you, and I guess not. I I know your answer, Steve, since you were there. Yeah, you were there, pretty right. much. Right. Did either one of you ever experience the final bell ringing and then papers being thrown <laughs> everywhere? <laughs> I, Why I, did that? <laughs> I see that in TV and movies all the time. I never experienced that. <laughs> you know, Peach, did that happen in your high school? Like the bell would ring and people would throw loose leaf paper everywhere and Alice, actually, Alice Cooper would start playing? Actually, the, the police actually got involved. The, tra the tradition was in my junior high school, the tradition was that all the kids would rip um, their loose leaf binders open 
and toss all of their loose leaf paper out of the school bus windows. Oh, come on. And no, this went on every year. We and just then, we quietly walked out of school. Like what what was no, wrong with no, our we school? We were maniacs. And then and then when I was in 7th grade, um our bus got uh pulled over by the cops. <laughs> wow. Cops were we were really told to stop bus? it. Right, the was cops weren't in on this? <laughs> I the, we, did. Uh, the, we, we walked out of school cool very casually. Very casually never... we walked out. You know, there wasn't there wasn't like uh running out and like kicking one of the teachers in the behind while we were running out of the school or Hey you kids no come back here. Flying around. No people You kids come back here. Ah, oh, whatever, teach. <laughs> it's summer. What are you gonna do? Suspend me? Wow. <laughs> that never happened. Never happened. That's a great question. That's a lot Kevin. of attitude you never had. <laughs> I was never allowed to. It just didn't happen in our school. Put a kick me sign on like the geekiest teacher. Never happened. Never happened. All right. Um Let's just go to the game show because this random thought is is not random enough. It's very it's very big. They would put a blog. It's bigger than all of us, Cal. All of us. Ooh. Thanks. Bigger all right, Pete. You, you yep. have a uh, you have a game show. It's not it's not a game show. <laughs> you would you like a, a game show? I you can turn it into a game show easily. Well, uh, there's the quickie, there's the aperitif, and then there's the biggie. The aperitif is. Um, uh, excluding Janis Joplin and Aretha Franklin, because I just consider them cop-out answers either way. I want to know, quick off the top of your head, who are your three favorite female music artists? Oh, gosh. Ooh, wow. Speaking of random thoughts. <laughs> da 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 that, 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 I did you not see that for me? <laughs> Who are you like at the ladies? <laughs> I like at the ladies. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll I'll throw uh, one out there. I'll throw my first one out there. Uh, I uh, I love Alanis Morissette. Uh, there, I said it. It's out there. <laughs> see, I, I knew this was going to be hard. I said it. It's out there. There's nothing wrong I, with that. I, I and and uh, look, I don't have jagged little pill. I'm not playing it, you know, 24/7. I like Alanis Morissette. There, it's okay. out there. I'm proud of you. Think of what you will. There. Yeah. Feel so feel so good to get it off my chest. Mm-hmm. All right, how about you, Cal? You know, off the top of my head, I like like the Beyonce. Come on. You do. Wow. I love it. You do. I like her. She's got a good voice. All right. Okay. The judges will accept that. I'm frantically going through my iTunes. (laughs) I feel like I know something more about Cal than than, than I do. No, no, I got here. Can I give you my second one to make up for it real quick? Please. Ann Wilson. Really? Yes. Oh, Hart or Ann Wilson? Ann Wilson. You can like Hart. Do you like Hart? I like her voice. I like her singing. Okay, okay. (laughs) You're getting very defensive. (laughs) I'm a big fan of the music of Hart. (laughs) 
You really He's getting ready to get angry at you, Steve. Yeah. Take it easy, Cameron Crow. Let's just calm down here. That's Nancy Wilson. There's a difference. There is a difference. Oh, Ann Wilson is the guitarist? Ann Wilson no is the lead singer of Hawaii. Nancy is the guitarist. Who's the big one? Ann. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Cameron Crow married to? Nancy. Nancy's the lead singer. Nancy's the guitarist. Nancy's the, Nancy's the guitar player. Nancy's the guitar player. Good job, everybody. <laughs> Anne is the dark-haired lead singer. This, this, Nancy this is on guys. guitarist married to Cameron Crowe. I think you absolutely have that reversed. And they're both in the heart, you say? <laughs> Are you DJ, sure who you got? In, they're both in heart? Both in heart, yes. They comprise the band Heart. <laughs> Who's the big one? Nobody's going to get on me for that? No. Nah, we're going <laughs> to let it go guys, right by. You guys are just going to let me get away with that? Mm-hmm. I hope my wife's not listening. Hey, school's almost out, so it's fine. Hey, Peach, who's the big one? <laughs> exactly. Usually I am. I got away, <laughs> got away with it because it's the last day of school. That's right. <laughs> uh, uh, TJ, who do you got? Yeah, who you got? That I like uh, I like very much the Annie Lennox. Oh, I like that. very much the Alanis Morissette, and I like very much this uh, girl-fronted band called Isley. They're three sisters, and they wanted to call themselves Most Isley, but they figured they were going to get sued by Lucas, so <laughs> they just called themselves Isley instead. Well, I like the name. I can tell you that much. Great I don't know any. Great. I don't know anything about them. I so I need two more here. Yeah, Whew. I'm exhausted. Or you, uh, or you could just cop to it that you don't like to listen to the ladies. No, you know what's funny? I'll so I'll be uh, going through like I'll use YouTube for the day when I'm listening to music, and I'll actually like sort of DJ my day, and uh, you know via YouTube, and I'll just oh I'm in the mood for this, and I'll listen to a bunch of songs by that, or I'm in the mood for that. Yeah, and I would say you DJ your day. Yeah, sort of. It, rather than have some days, I'll have Pandora on all day, and I'll let Pandora DJ my day. Other days, I'll actually like want to control it, and I'll use YouTube. Oh, and I so maybe I'll be like, like you would announce the songs you were playing. <laughs> <laughs> Here's another five in a row for myself. <laughs> it's two for Tuesday. At my desk. <laughs> Here's a double shot from Jagged Little Pill. It's ironic. <laughs> <laughs> you lose more jobs that way. Right. People at work are looking at me like, what are you doing? Oh, that's Steve. You just don't worry about it. He's DJing his day. It's okay. Yeah, that that was uninvited by Alanis Morissette. I'll tell you where you are invited. To two, two for Tuesdays. We're all going to be down in Mulcahy's on Wednesday night. So uh, come on down. And uh, this is Billy Joel Alphalena. Alphalena. I think I'm changing Cal's intro music to single ladies. <laughs> oh, <laughs> one of the one of the things I notice when I do that though, when I when I do my YouTube days, is that I put in a lot of female uh, lead singer songs. Not I won't I won't go like I'll. I'll throw on Uninvited because I love that song. Or I'll throw on Cannonball by the Breeders because I love that song. Or 
You know what I, I dialed up the other day? Tracy Bonham, Mother Mother. I love that song. Um, but I, I won't. That's it. Like you just you get the one song. You're not going to listen to a catalog of a female artist, is what That's you're saying. That's tough for me. That's tough for me. Yes, I would put uh, Fiona Apple on that list. Ooh. Of uh, of so good. Yeah, I I I really do like Fiona Apple. I didn't like her last this last album. I couldn't get into, but the album before that. There's no point in trying to say the names of these albums. The Idler Wheel, they call it for short. Right, the Idler Wheel I didn't love, but the one okay. before that I loved. When and the, the one ball. before that, yes, the one before that has one of my favorite tunes, like ever. Oh well, uh, it's called Oh Well. But any so Fiona would be number two for me, and number three, that's boy, that's a tough sell. You know, I, like I did Chapman. Do not do not care for Tracy Chapman. <laughs> he does not. He has said some rude things about I Tracy said, Chapman, which I will not bring up here. The, my <laughs> favorite, the only thing I like about Tracy Chapman is Tim Meadows playing her on <laughs> on the Sinead O'Connor Awards on Saturday oh, Night Live, <laughs> or the, uh, <laughs> the Everybody do the funky wah wah. <laughs> Uh, I think I, I would probably put 10,000 Maniacs in there, maybe. I, I liked them quite a bit at that time. I will pop on the occasional Natalie Merchant song. Sure. Uh, but that's it. Boy, that's tough. Tough, tough, tough. Good. Well done, guys. Aperitif consumed. You have you one my more. Third? Yeah, we need I your third. A... Yeah, because the other two are so bad. I might as well give oh, you the third. <laughs> <laughs> Mama Cass. She had some voice. She had some voice on her. She absolutely did. Um, it's I, it's very difficult to admit to this now in 2013, but in 1994 or 1993, it was a little cooler to like Sarah McLaughlin. Sure. A little cooler. A little because. It was before all of the ASPCA ads. Yes, it was Antarctica. And WP to like Sarah McLaughlin. sang the soundtrack to, and right. It was before it was that. Antarctica. Yeah, it was Antarctica to like Sarah McLaughlin. It was before the yeah. animal welfare years really came right. in. Yeah, before Sarah McGilty. Uh, what is that? Uh, um, tumbling, tumbling towards ecstasy, or fumbling yeah, towards ecstasy? Yes, fumbling. That's a very, very good album. Very strong. Very good album. PJ, didn't you love Shania Twain? Sure. Or is that sure. Tom? Um, I think it's Tom. No, no, no. It's me. <laughs> no, hey, no. Tom? Shania Tom. Uh, huge. Oh, please. I could, na- I could name female artists all night. I listen to female artists um, probably two-thirds of my day. Because, like, when I, when I hear, like, guy bands... I just keep walking around the house going, well, I could do that. Like, right. Because I, I write like that. But when sure. I listen to a female artist, I find them really interesting because you can't do not it. my brain. Right. I can't, do, can't do that sort of stuff. TJ, the problem I'm having, and I don't, I don't know if you can relate to this, is that my head is filled with female artists like Selena Gomez and Demi Lovato all day. That's all I hear in my, in my house. 
I tune it out. I wish I could. I tune it out. Oh, and I did this. You might want to. I don't know if your kids would go for this yet, but I just started this with my kids um, because I, I do have the big monolith of CDs. I started a lending library with my kids. Oh wow! You make out, you make out a, a little oak tag card with the kid's name on it, so they can come down. They take any any disc they want, and they put the card in its place so that I know it's gone, and so that they know how to put it back on the shelf. And that way, they can just take anything they want and go listen to it and try it. That's my daughter's not idea. too heavy into it, but my son my son really digs the idea. See, my problem is that I I already lost my 2012 Mets yearbook by lending that out, and the pages were ripped and crinkled and never given back. <laughs> yeah, to me, you may so. you may have to wait another two years to to try that. Uh, well, she's ten, so <laughs> I think that I was think that's spite a reasonable ripping. expectation. She's not going to destroy was, things. I think that was spite ripping. Is what that was. Wound up in her, slept with it in her bed, rolled over, pages got all. Hey, where's my where's my yearbook? I let you borrow. To, and by oh. the way, that's a that's a great new app. I tune it out. <laughs> that's a really we should we should work on developing that. The new app from Disney Junior. I tune it out. Creates white noise over all, <laughs> all Disney artists. It creates white noise over Demi Lovato. Uh, okay, so, so that was oh, that was the app that was the aperitif. That was yeah. That was the baby. That was the baby fun load. Uh, and the the big one is, if I ask you, what is the most expensive thing you ever bought or you ever had? And I want to I want to give you uh, different periods of time. And, okay. And you, you think about what was what was the big deal, either that you went and got yourself or that you had and you knew. This was this was big. This was important. Like from let's say fifth grade to the end of high school, not counting a car. Well, maybe count the car. What was, what was the what the was car. the most expensive thing in your life? <laughs> Cal's like a car. My first Next car question. was pretty cheap. <laughs> my first car didn't uh, yeah, actually run cool. me a lot. My first car was. Uh, extremely cheap, and then I wound up trading it for a drum set with my brother. One of the worst deals I ever made. He totally hosed me. Wait, wait, wait. He took your car and he he gave you his old drums? No. Even worse. (laughs) (laughs) So I got got my first car. It was $500. It was a Chrysler LeBaron, but not the cool Chrysler convertible LeBaron, but the old cop car Chrysler LeBaron. It had one speaker for the radio that sat on the seat. (laughs) That sat on the seat in between passenger and driver's sides. It was a tank. Uh, It was just awful. Just awful, but it was a car. It was a, it was a means of transportation, as my father said. And Scott, my brother at that time, was at college um, with a Toyota Corolla, little five-speed, two-door. It was a 1983 Corolla. It had three different color fenders, but it had a sweet, ridiculous stereo that he put in there. And it was a coo- much, much cooler car. So my brother completely took me to town here, traded me. The LeBaron 
and the drum set, which he had left home for me. So I gave him the LeBaron and the drum set for the Corolla, right, for my senior year of, of high school. Okay. He was in college. You were there, Peach. He didn't care what he drove. Nobody cared what he drove. I drove him everywhere. Right. It wasn't wasn't like high school. The car never left the driveway. Yeah, where you actually had to have a car. He he didn't care what he drove. And he got a drum set out of the deal. The clutch goes on on the Toyota in December. I I got this car in August. I made this deal in August. The clutch goes in December, the car is totaled, because it's got 167,000 miles on it. (laughs) There is no reason to put another clutch in this car. So now I have no drum set and no car. And he's laughing. Playing the drums and driving his LeBaron. Laughing at me. Wow. (laughs) So I know that's not quite the first purchase, but... But still, the biggest biggest thing you had from from the youth... You traded away. <laughs> I traded away. And you got hosed. That's um, right. Yep. You're like Omar Minaya. I am. <laughs> yes, very much so. Very much so. I was like a bad GM. Totally, totally a terrible GM. Cal, what do you got there from, from fifth grade to, say, high school is the car, right? It would have to be the car. But, again, it was, it was eight, I paid $800 for a 1985 Ford Thunderbird. Which sounds cool. I remember that car. Until you realize that the car was cream colored. <laughs> was it cream on cream? It was cream, yeah, cream on cream. It was the cream on cream. That was it. <laughs> Very hot. Oh, boy. How about you, Peach? Yeah. A synthesizer. Ooh. Did you get a skinny tie with it? I was a keyboard geek. How about a flock of seagulls haircut? Did you get that with it as well? And uh, I demanded I the from synthesizer. The Asia. <laughs> I, I got the synthesizer to punish my parents, literally, and, and uh, it, it was it was a revenge purchase. How, what kind of synth was it? What kind of hot synth it, action did you have going? It was uh, a very high end Casio, not the kind of Casio you buy at Sears. <laughs> And there's BJ. Oh yeah, uh, that's what I was learning. I was learning Axel F and Jump and and uh, Genesis. Uh, you know, Three Sides Live. It was just, it stayed in my room. Nice playing. You you knew how to punish them. They'll that'll teach them. I did. <laughs> and you know what I was punishing them for? For something that happened two years earlier. <laughs> right. I wanted to go. I wanted to go to Florida on a class trip. Wait, my don't get on his bad side. I, <laughs> please. My parents told me I couldn't go. You can't go to Florida. You're too young. So they bribed me instead. They said, you know what? You can go out and you can get an amp for your guitar instead. I said, fine. I went out and I got an amp instead of going to Florida, which is what I really wanted to do. And then two years later, another class trip came up. The whole class was going to Europe. They said, you've got to do this. This is a life changer. This is what you need to do. And I said, no. And I took the money and I bought a synth. <laughs> and and with that synth, you played Final Countdown every day. <laughs> over and over. 
just to remind them that they they didn't let you go to Europe. Just picture my parents staring at me and just every time they walk past my room, just shaking their heads going, what's wrong with him? (laughs) We offered him a trip to Europe, and instead he's playing Europe. He's playing Europe. Oh boy! See, you guys have bought houses, so uh, and and I haven't. So obviously, that's a, a relatively large purchase. Well, that's well. That's the, the next time period is is college to to college to marriage to pre marriage. What 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 was the big? Well, thing? I got I got married at thirty five. So that's that's a that's pretty well, wide. What? It's <laughs> a pretty big. And I was broke for most of it. So college so. to pre marriage. College. <laughs> the biggest thing you bought was your education. College, yeah. <laughs> that was a big purchase. That, that was, was good. a big purchase. Let me you back have, a little bit. You have any buyer's remorse on that one, or? No, no. I got a good education. I had a horrible basketball team while I was there, but right. I um, I didn't. I wasn't smart enough to have that paid for me. Right. You know, they didn't I, uh, want me. I had to buy my way in. <laughs> this is sounding like you were at like an elite prep school. You had to buy your way in to hang out with to hang out with the uh, <laughs> the rich kids. You had to fix the fix the files. Somewhere, some right. Somehow, Rob Lowe is playing one of right. those. Like, right, Rob, Rob Lowe at like age twenty. Like, Sir, Rob Lowe circa nineteen eighty five is in this movie, where Cal buys his way in to, uh, and of course James Spader. James Spader has to be in this movie well, as yeah. well. You know, listen, he, he, James Cal, Spader is one that knows a guy that's going to help me get in. Right, listen, Cal. I don't know <laughs> what circles you're used to running in. But if you're going to be here, getting your education, matriculating here, we're going to need to do something about your suit. Pretty good. Uh, thank you. That was actually not a Saturday Night Live person doing James Spader, by the way, I might oh, add. That was, that was not bad. That was pure Spader for me. I'll give you mine real quick, guys, and then we, we should probably wrap in a couple of minutes. Uh, I want to get PJs, of course, as well. Uh, mine is a snare drum. In college, my senior year, I bought, uh, I had the same drum kit. I got that drum kit back from Scott. (laughs) We had the same drum set. He bought it when he was in 10th grade, which is 1980-something, 87 maybe. And we had that drum set. I, I played at Dayton with that drum set until 1997. So we had that drum set for 10 years. It played at two colleges in two college bands. And, th- and you know who I bought it from, Cal? Mike Principe. Hey! Scott bought it from Mike Principe. Okay. Yep, for $400. That was probably his biggest purchase up until that point. <laughs> so we've done this for my brother. But I bought a... Re- Peach, you would have laughed your ass off if you had seen the snare drum that I bought. To go with this this ten year old four hundred dollar Tama drum set, I bought this ridiculous piccolo snare because that was like all the rage at the time. Yeah, uh, right. Like all the, yeah, all the Seattle bands, like and and all the drummers that I was listening to a lot of, like uh, uh, Chamberlain and 
Dave Aberziz and all these guys used these little piccolo snares that had so much roll and stuff like that. And I bought a snare for like $900. It was ridiculous. It was stu- It's the only drum I ever bought a case for. <laughs> like I got, I bought the thing and I'm like, you know what, I should really probably get a case for this. You know, the, the other drums were thrown into the back of every car ever. So that was my that was my biggest purchase, and of course I wound up selling it back about six months later. But that was that was a pretty big purchase at the time, nine hundred bucks for a snare drum. I tell you what, sounded re- pretty pretty good, pretty good. Good size snare, you need it. Oh man, uh, what do you got, Peach? Pre pre marriage. Well, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's another it's was, another uh, keyboard, isn't it? <laughs> it, well, kind of, sort of. Um, we started recording with the band, and I started to become so offended uh, by how much studio time cost that I started buying up pieces for a recording studio. The right. recording studio wasn't finished until after I was married. <laughs> But it started well before that. But it it was a $35,000 journey that started in 1996. Because we went into the studio, we were like, oh, this place is cool. How much is this? Oh, $300 an hour. (laughs) Oh. We've only been here 20 minutes. We gotta go. I haven't even tuned yet. No, oh, please. That was... Guitarist was late to one of our sessions. We 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 lost our minds. I mean, <laughs> Understandably really so. Yeah. yeah. Understandably the recording so. Recording studio. Still paying for that, by the way. Still, still, still paying still that paying, one off. Still, well, no, still paying into it. Just, just, you know, just adding to it. Constantly adding to it. Nice. Good for you. Thank you. You, you don't have well. anything. Uh, you don't have anything super fun in there. Because the studio sounds like a labor of love. <laughs> I have plenty of fun there. I think it, I, I think it, I do have a sports one. I think the first time I was able to pay for my my jet season ticket was a big deal. That's huge, yeah. yeah. Like the first time I was able to pay for my seat for the season was huge. It was a big deal. And and of course because of the great people that I went to the game with, I. You know, it was almost like my money was no good there. But they did let me pay for one season. I paid for my actual seat in 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 installments, but I paid for my seat for one season, and um, and that was huge. Like the first, I think I was like twenty four. Like the first time I was able to actually like afford my my seat for the year, and uh, that was a big purchase. That was yeah. That was it. It made the game, uh, the games a little, just a little different. Mm-hmm. It's also it's also when I took over, you know, tailgating responsibilities. A lot of responsibility came with that. The sex. You got to have a med purchase in there, Cal, right? I don't like, really. You you don't have like a season package or something like that. No, I mean, I guess in '99. In 2000, I went to all but, like, two playoff games. Okay. That's a that big was, purchase. Yeah, that was a That's lot. Not cheap. What about no, the Islander show? Didn't you, didn't you have an Islander package? I don't know, yes, I had, I, had, I had an Islander package in college. 
Okay, that's a big purchase. It was a ten game package, yeah. So that was, but it, tickets weren't as expensive back then. Right, it was Jeez. a different time, Cal. Other, <laughs> other than sports, what's the most expensive ticket you ever bought? Wow, that's an excellent question. It's got to be for a Broadway show. I would guess. Because you know me, I've not been to a lot of concerts. I paid $400 for a scalped Radiohead ticket one. That Was that the Hammerstein Ballroom show? Might have been, yeah. Might have been. It was worth it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you got your money's worth there. I think I paid, I think I paid like 100 and maybe like 175 for a Pearl Jam ticket. Mm. I think I might have paid that. But it's probably it's probably for a Broadway show. It's probably for like maybe Glenn Gary when Glenn Gary was uh, with uh, Liev Schreiber or whatever in that limited run. I think my tickets were like two twenty five each or something like that. Wow, Cal paid twenty three hundred for Beyonce. <laughs> I heard twenty three hundred. Beyonce Beyonce ain't cheap, Cal. That's a slush fund that I gotta keep on the download. <laughs> Jay Z was there that night. He was yeah, it was bottle service for that show. <laughs> we hung out. What's what's the uh, what's the most? Opened, she opened for Big Time Rush. That's how I got to that show. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's, my that's god! It. That's it. I'm ending it. DJ final unload. Of season four. Two-parter. Number one, uh, the Broadway show was terrible, and the album, the original album, was terrible. However, the Broadway cast album of the show called The Cape Man is absolutely amazing, and it just came out iTunes only, uh, featuring uh, Mark Anthony and Reuben Blades, and it's a doo-wop story of uh, gangsters in 1950s New York. Amazing. Go get it. And number two, the MC Light track that I worked on was called Assaholic. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> of course it was. Of MC course. Light, Assaholic. Special <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks to my, to my friend PJ for helping me with Assaholic. 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 Cal, good luck. Oh, boy. Final unload. Final unload. Assaholic. Does it get any better than that? I love this show. Um, <laughs> I got. I can't beat Assaholic. I'm sorry. No one can beat Assaholic. Have a great summer, everyone. Thank you again. I'm echoing what Steve said earlier. Thank you for all of your support. Thanks for listening. Thanks for following us. We'll be back soon. With or without Assaholic. <laughs> oh, Assaholic will be there. <laughs> He's coming with us. He's coming with. Uh, <clears throat> and my final unload is... Um, we'll see you guys all in September. I'm not going to sing the song because I don't like it. But we'll see you all in September. And the the cliffhanger is... The cliffhanger is. The season four cliffhanger is. Oh, man. I didn't sign my contract. Am I screwed? 
What will Sam Pete name his child? Tune in to season five, starting in September, most likely, to find out, because I got news for you fellas, we have no idea. Not being coy, not being... Not being Put some names in a sealed envelope, let's see. We have no idea. I no considered idea. considered S-a-holic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, but I was considering MC Light. <laughs> MC Light San Pietro. I think it's got a certain ring to it. Uh, honestly, thank you guys. I just want to thank you guys. Bri, of course, and, and PJ. You have become integral to this show. And um, I love doing this with you guys. We will see you uh, in September. Thank you so much for the last uh, three and a half years. And uh, we'll see you in September, guys. I'll probably see you sooner than that, but... You probably will. You probably will. Yeah, no doubt. PJ, you probably will, too. But uh, I miss the listening audience. Oh, that. Yes. Yeah. Right. I might like to see a check. God, this guy's such an assholeholic. He really is. He really is. Good night, everybody. <laughs>